Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sancti Time Podcast, where no matter if it's Eastern Time, Western Time, or uh, Pacific Time, it'll always be Sancti Time. So, I just want to ask uh, today's guests on the episode, how's everyone doing? Good. Tired. I just got back from work. <laughs> I'd say good, but not tired, because I knew I, it's a, it's 9.30 at night. I, it's Friday. I knew I was going to be doing this, so I drank a coffee after I went to the gym, and that was John, like 6.30. John, do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like to hear the If trailer, the Fall Guy trailer, and the Mean Girls trailer on loop for six hours a day? Torture. I don't think you're getting paid enough. I put my two fingers in my mouth. That's how that's how much I hate it. Yeah. I I, I legit if I were to go completely deaf, I would probably thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank the Lord. Okay. So the reason that I invite you both back is because AJ had an idea for his YouTube channel in which he in, in which me, John, and AJ, and Jack Siddle from the middle section, we're going to do a superlative end of 2023 um, video type of thing in which we discuss, like, the best of, um, in which you, in which we discuss each Oscar superlative category, but not exactly an Oscar superlative category. It's AJ's own categories of 2023. So, so, so all of us are gonna run through um a lot of them. So, so all of us are gonna like run through all, run through all these superlatives. We have a choice for each one. So, and so, uh, before Mister um, Boso probably explain. Uh, we know we said that Jack Siddle was gonna be here. Um, he, yeah. he couldn't last second. <laughs> He could have, uh, it's so three. hard to plan shit like this when the three oh, of yeah, us live on the East Coast and he lives in, in it, Australia. Exactly. It, it was yeah. poor planning on my part. And I know I know you said that it was supposed to be on my YouTube channel. That is the truth. But um, I honestly didn't know where I would get the time to edit a video as long as this. Yeah. Right. So I, I just came up with the idea to Santi, like, hey, why don't we just make this a Santi time? And I, Exactly, I, I, yeah. I think this will run smoothly. Yeah. And and good. yes, it will. And sometimes Santi Time episodes last for like two hours anyway. So uh the last we, one I was on. Oh yeah, which was the Spider-Man 2 one, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, Spider-Man 2 game. It was a great it was yeah, yeah, we discussed a lot about the game, shooting the shit on Spider-Man. You guys should give that a listen. It was a so, long one. Yeah, hell yeah, brother. Uh so uh before we uh so uh, the categories that we have are Best Director of 2023, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Score, Best Screenplay, Best Animated Feature, Movie, Movie. I don't know why I said feature. It's movie. God Same damn. thing. A little professional over here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, best Movie Scene, Most Underrated Movie, Most Overrated Movie. Biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, best trailer, piece of shit movie, and best movie. Saving the best for last. Hell, uh, um, I I think how this will go. Uh, 
Santi, why don't you go first and then John and then me? Yeah. And uh, before we do get started, um, I hate to like, you know, start um, this off on a very somber note, but uh, we lost Carl Weathers, guys. Yeah. 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 yeah the legendary okay. actor uh, who passed away at 76 years old was best known as the iconic role of Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies. He played Dylan in in Predator 1987 One and half of the best at, handshake of all time. Fuck yeah, brother. Dylan, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and also the coach in Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Right. I, 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 I was just gonna say I was just gonna say Hey and Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just gonna say it's also like the funniest but also one of the funniest uh, death scenes in movie history in which like he screams at the crocodile's head, falls out the window. I always thought it was funny. Like, come on. <laughs> and then you see him in heaven and it's like Abe Lincoln, the crocodile and him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still, I still, I still think that was funny, but, uh, but yeah, we miss Carl Weathers, you know, rest in peace. Uh, the Mandalorian is definitely cooked without him. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't watch the Mandalorian. It doesn't affect me either way. Uh, fuck Star Wars. Exactly. Right. Well, I'm not gonna say fuck Star Wars because there's still two things from it coming out that I like. But is he? Was he even in season three? I did not. Yeah, watch he was. He was in three. the first. Okay. He was in the first episode of season three. He was okay. Some chancellor. Yeah, yeah, he became some some chancellor or whatever. So anyway, let's start off with the first uh, with the first category: best director of twenty twenty three. Um, I I go first, right, AJ? Yeah, then John. Okay. okay. Uh, my pick is Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. You know, I was like, you, you know, like I've said this before, probably on here. Um, before seeing Oppenheimer, I thought The Prestige was Christopher Nolan's best movie. And that is until I saw the masterpiece that was Oppenheimer, a three hour biopic on the dangers of weapons of mass destruction. And uh, Chrissy Boy uh, directed the hell out of it. Like, mm -hmm. uh, and God, it was beautifully shot in color and black and white. We rarely see movies that uh, that achieve that nowadays. Uh, Maestro tried to do that, but failed, but, uh, but failed miserably. But uh but uh but Oppenheimer though like the way that Christopher like truly like truly like understood like America's side of the war and how like America like and and, and how uh America uh, like just went about it the wrong way on making a bomb to like you know kill a bunch of Japanese people to end World War II it's very eviscerating his direction keeps you on your toes it keeps you engaged like even during like even during the courtroom scenes, even even during the like, even during that um, that uh that press, that that uh that court hearing that you see with Oppy, like it's all great stuff here. Like it's great direction over here, you know. Like, yeah, you know, it it it's gotta be uh, it's gotta be pretty amazing when a British man can um, show how America's side. Early America side during World War Two, truly was even though he he wasn't born or raised in America. Yeah, 
no, I'm definitely that probably not. helps because he wasn't born in the American propaganda of, oh, wasn't America great when we won the Second World War when the rest exactly, of the world was yeah. like, you guys used an atomic bomb and just, like, fucked the world for the rest of time. <laughs> he's not He's not like Alex Garland who thinks that, you know, if we ever got into a civil war, Texas and California would just form an alliance. Christopher Nolan wouldn't do that shit. <laughs> no, 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 no. That shit still looks like a TV movie. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My best director of 2023. I mean, he's he's probably won this from so many other people a bunch of times. I got Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon. Hey, yeah. hey. I loved how this movie looked, how what well, Marty's direction. I mean, well, just it's Martin fucking Scorsese. Like, what am I going to say? Like, oh, he did all this stuff so brilliantly. Of course he fucking did. Like, this movie has one of my favorite transition scenes in any film ever. It's like this part, shot where it pans over to a uh, to a bar that's in, like, the main part of the town. But the, the light of the sunlight goes down at the same time. And then the lights yeah. inside the building go up, too. And I was just like, Marty, Marty. <laughs> How he directed that ending scene was actually god tier. Oh, like yeah. it, like it was the most unpredictable thing, like ever. And <laughs> and and just to bring it back to Oppenheimer, like um, it's really great to see like both Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon in the Best Picture race, considering that both movies were edited by a woman. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it goes to show i mean one of the most important things about go about a film is the editing like how does this movie transition from scene to scene how does it make it flow well how do you make three and a half hours feel like nothing it's true i saw killers of the flower moon the october 19th that that thursday night and that same night i was going to be playing spider-man 2 on the ps5 because it was dropping at midnight now, realistically, because of that, with the movie, it should have felt like it was four hours long because of my anticipation by watching it and then waiting to go home to play the game. I thought I was only in the theater for like two hours. Yeah, exactly. But it's so beautifully paced. It's just, God. He's honestly oh! like my pick to win best director. He's not going to. I think Christopher Nolan's going to get it, but like. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I do think. Uh, he is my pick as well, but I would not be opposed to Nolan getting it. I think he also deserves it. Uh, Oppenheimer's like also like a god tier directed movie. Like I don't know how either mm -hmm. did it. Um, my best director of 2023 is something that probably not a lot of people have, but you two have heard me uh, gush about this. I'm gonna go with Andrew Haig from. All of us strangers. I haven't oh, seen that yet, so I actually got, can't give an opinion on this. It made got, me, it made me like emotional. Like it really made me cry. Oh yeah, that's right. You saw it recently, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did. And I can't believe that this movie didn't get any fucking awards. Like even I, after I got my heart ripped out. Like, Jesus. Like the way that Andrew Haig um directly direct something to make it feel like the afterlife or something dreamlike mm -hmm. to a point where there could be extras just walking 
across in one scene, but you completely forget that they're there because the movie is really just trying to um, encapsulate loneliness. And also, it, just it, how the sunsets look is like exactly, yeah, breathtaking. Like, oh my god! But but it but to me, it was really just like the psychedelic feel of the film, like. The minute I walked out of All of Us Strangers, the first time I saw it, I legitimately said to myself, like, this is what the afterlife would look like. This is what the afterlife looks like on film. And it it, it just, like, every single frame of that movie just added some kind of new layer to emotion, of a new layer to emotion, add a new layer of emotion. And during the scenes where... You know, there would be like moments of maybe comic relief, just like just kind of awkward moments. There's still something very surreal and, you know, out of body about it simply because of the way that it's shot and simply because of how the sound design is used. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like with the sound design, every single solitary thing was paid attention to. And I don't know. Like, I've always been a fan of Andrew Haig. I haven't seen everything he's done, but I would be surprised if I saw a movie that he's done that would top all of us strangers. Like, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't thrown a movie into my 2023 list so fast. And I was so upset when I saw the movie, bef- like, after making my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they get. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was impatient. Exactly. Okay. That's, I was impatient. That's... That's what you get for studios like not like releasing their movies properly like worldwide, you know, like I genuinely believe that if all of us strangers came out in like November, it would be like hitting nominations like no other. Exactly. Like that's the problem. It didn't it didn't reach like uh, all of us strangers came out like after the cutoff point of like of movies being like submitted for like Academy of Motion Pictures like consideration. Like, uh, it's why the Iron Claw was barely nominated because, yes, it did come out in December, but like it came out like a week after like the December cutoff for it to be admitted to awards. You know, like, John, I know that's tough for you to hear since you're a wrestling fan, but yeah. <laughs> people people were telling me that, oh, Iron Claw will be nominated next year. I, I hate, I hate to be no, that. No, no. I hate to be that guy, but that's not going to happen. Who the if fuck was, told you that? Uh, people on TikTok. <laughs> you, know, you know, well, they're idiots. <laughs> you don't need to worry about me being disappointed with something related to wrestling. I've been a wrestling fan for 18 years. I'm used to wrestling companies telling me to go fuck myself. So this is just another episode of that. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm next. So best actor of 2023, Killian Murphy. You know. I am fully rooting for this. I am fully rooting for this man. I've watched him since I was 15. When I uh, when I saw him in uh, Batman Begins, I've watched him when uh, I've watched him since my parents put on Red Eye one night when I was like eight years old. And I saw Rachel McAdams like run on all heels, which which realistically does not happen in real life. You don't run in heels. The heels will break off anyway. Um, I've loved him in Peaky Blinders. I've loved him in everything he's in. 
and especially in Oppenheimer, it's his it's probably his best performance of his career. And I really hope that he wins the Oscar. However, I wouldn't be opposed if uh, Paul Giamatti takes it. You know, I really liked him in the holdovers. So we'll see. So Gillian <laughs> mm-hmm. Murphy's performance, like during the scene after the Trinity test, like that, that might cement him the Oscar league. Like, th- that was the point where I just thought to myself, this might be some of the best acting I've ever seen. Like he's making that speech. Uh, all right. So my best actor is also Killian Murphy. I mean, okay. come on, man. I mean, he's like, I mean, it's just a perfect performance. And like, I was, I was thinking back, like I was actually listening back to an old middle section episode and I predicted back in uh, March last year that, that this would be the one that gets Killian Murphy into the Oscar race because we did an episode on Red Eye and talked about like everything that we've seen him in and I've always loved him like I mean 28 days later all timer of course yeah though no well all six of the movies he's done with Christopher Nolan he's great in each one even with his brief appearance in the latter two Dark Knight movies but like there's something about Killian's performance in Oppenheimer that just grabs my attention every time I watch it. I've only seen the movie twice, but every time I watch it, like, when I'm watching a movie at home, I'm sometimes, like, scrolling on Twitter while looking at it. Every, fucking whenever Killian's on screen, phone is down and I'm fucking watching. That performance is electrifying. Hell yeah. And it's you also do. absurdly depressing. Oh, no, it uh-huh. is. Uh-huh. Yep. Imagine, like, building a bomb after like your girlfriend like you know kills herself like that shit can affect you <laughs> hmm. yeah i mean men would go build a bomb like after their girlfriend's suicide instead of going to therapy so i believe it mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. i think i read that letterbox review <laughs> time. sorry that gotten... was too dark <laughs> yeah 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 must have gotten so many likes but uh but uh but, uh, but yeah, uh, AJ, uh, you're next. All right. So my best actor is not Killian Murphy, though he is pretty high up. Um, All of us strangers hive. Andrew Scott is my b- best actor <laughs> of 2020. I knew it. I knew it. I knew that you would say Andrew Scott, <laughs> I, man. <laughs> I had no idea who this guy was before I, I saw the movie. I... I Looked him up, and apparently he's been like a character actor. He's been a supporting role for a lot of movies, one of which being 1917. And when I looked up who he was, and I'm like, oh my god, this guy like actually kind of stole the show in 1917. Dude, he's in he's oh. in Fleabag. Oh yeah, yeah, I, that's I right. He's the priest. <laughs> Fuck me! Why did I not know that? <laughs> Anyway, um, oh, didn't you watch Fleabag? I thought I did watch Fleabag. That right, okay, <laughs> I knew who the actor was. Oh, okay, Leave me alone. I don't know everything. All right, I, I, I have life anyway. Um, I, I, Andrew Scott is able to convey so much and say a thousand words without saying a line of dialogue. He gives a very, very very quiet performance here and whenever he does have dialogue you can just feel the emotion 
just coming out of you, coming out of you, coming out of him, and it just completely sticks onto you. He is completely just magnetic in all of us strangers. And I honestly could not get enough of him. And by the time the movie ended, I wanted to just see every single thing that he's been a part of. That- yeah, yeah. Uh, he's in and- a new Netflix show called Ripley, which is an adaptation of Mr. Ripley. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on it. Should be good. Won't be as good as Talented Mr. Ripley, but who knows, you know. His, like, little monologue, like, during the ending scene, I won't spoil what happens for people that don't know, but, like, that that shit, like, how he delivered it just completely tore me to fucking shreds. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I, I, can't, I can't get enough of all of us strangers. It, it is just... Santi's covering his eyes. Well, yeah, because, <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm thinking about the sec. Well, yeah, because I'm thinking about how all of the strangers ends, and uh, it's making me really uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's making me really emotional. Like I'm making a video on it. Look out for it. Like, hey, I can't wait. Strangers <laughs> is like my current obsession. Anyway, uh, let's go with the best actress. <laughs> Uh, I can't wait to be upset. All right. Uh, <laughs> for for best actress to twenty twenty three, I'm going with Lily Gladstone. Hell yeah! I mean, I mean, come on! It's everybody's pick for best actress. Like, sure, she's up against Sandra Healer and Emma Stone, but Lily Gladstone has to take this award. I think she outshines like all of the. All of like the female performances that have come out last year, like whenever she's on screen, like, like everything, like every scene that she's in is a performance. When she's like standing up in her like, I don't know what you call them, her her her, her blanket. Like I don't I don't know what they're called. Um, and like when she's when she's in her traditional native clothes, when she's not speaking. When she's sad, when she cries out, like it's a performance. Like you are insanely captivated by Lily Gladstone when you watch Killers of the Flower Moon. It's how good of a it's how good of a performance she's in. And the fact that she has and the fact that she's recognized now from Killers and not from her previous work when she was in um when she was in another movie called The Unknown Country, when she was in um Certain Women, which was from Kelly Reichardt, which I'm sure you've seen, AJ, and I'm, I'm a Reichardt stan. Yes, yeah, yeah, and like you know, Gladstone is working, and she'll continue to work, and I'm gonna be rooting for her. So yeah, I'll, that's. What's up? I'll say this: like, no disrespect to Emma Stone, but if the Academy actually chickens out and doesn't award the first Native American woman to be nominated for Best Actress. Then I will actually be pissed. Yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, uh, this, saying that that, that's no shade to Emma Stone. Like, uh, like, amazing and poor things, but like Lily Gladstone deserves it. Yeah. Okay, this is gonna sound like a big hot take. This is kind of a topic. Uh, so Emma Stone is great in La La Land. You know, I'm I'm happy she won the Oscar back in 2017. But Natalie Portman and Jackie was the better performance for me. I agree. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. 
Yeah. But let's see if I agree with John's best actress. Oh, yeah. That's also, also Lily Gladstone. I mean, yeah. Guys, she, she is the best performance of the year. Like, even though, like, looking back on it, she's not in the movie as much as I remember her being in it. But, like, when she's on screen, man, good God, when she's, like, laying sick in the bed, I'm, like, watching, like, this is the best acting performance I've seen in so goddamn long. Like, I'm kind of just, like, I don't really know what else to add on to it other than what Santi said. And, like, the craziest thing is, this is the only movie I've seen her in. And she's won my heart. Me too! Like... Yeah, yeah. I hope she's in more stuff, just not in, just not in cape shit. You know, like. Anyway, yeah. what was right. that joke? Sorry, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just like so distracted by something on Twitter right now that's really pissing me off. But I'm is not it um is it, it live action Atlas stuff? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's related to wrestling. I just vent to us. I'm okay. not going to because we're it's your not friends. A topic of the video. <laughs> Okay, all right. AJ, best actress pick. Go ahead. Okay, so I was torn between Lily Gladstone and uh, one other person. I ended up picking Gladstone, but um, if you guys are curious on who the other person was who was up against her, it was a Park Ji-min for Burn the Soul. Yeah! A movie that I forced Santi to watch, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You really, you really championed for me to watch it, and I'm glad I did because Return to Soul is a damn good movie. Exactly. I'm, I'm honestly pretty sad that I had to put in my honorable mentions of 2023, but yeah, especially with not like, my fall 2023 was a great year. Especially with like the dancing scenes in the movie, exactly. like yeah. I just like it's so vibey, you know, like you're just captivated by how she moves, like it's. It's so amazing, really. But, but, but yeah. yeah, my my best actress is Lily Gladstone. I am a Kelly. Yeah. I have been following Lily Gladstone for a long time. <laughs> I am a Kelly Reichardt stan. Like Lily Gladstone is pretty much Lily. Glad, I can't talk. Sorry, <laughs> Lily Gladstone and Kelly Reichardt is pretty much the Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese duo. Like, that's my Leo and Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head with Gladstone. Um, I will say that the physicality of her performance... Uh, why can't I talk? The physicality of her performance is also pretty spellbinding. Like, what John said, like, when she's sick in the bed, like, you actually believe that she is legitimately incapable of doing anything you believe that she is 100 bedridden but every time she lets out a scream in the movie oh. she's in danger or especially like, after the house blows up like exactly yeah, yeah whenever she's in danger or something happens to her it is literally the most heartbreaking scream that you will ever hear in your life and that's because she has like such a a really good like soft-spoken voice and when she lets out this scream just lets out this like other side of her it's something that you kind of don't really expect you don't really expect that level of intensity within within her voice and i i thought she did that 
heartbreakingly well. I've never had to analyze a scream before, but you know, there's the first time for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Lily Gladstone three, three for free. We, we, we love you, Emma, but, um, if, yeah. if you win, if you win the Oscar, I will go Lydia Tar on your ass. Anyway, boy. <laughs> okay. Uh, next category: best supporting actor. Uh, my pick is Charles Melton from May December. I thought he was amazing. It's fucking bullshit that the Academy was so fucking stupid not to nominate him. But uh, whatever. The Academy's the Academy. They've always and they've always like they've always like not picked the actual good ones, but all right. <laughs> but uh but yeah, Charles Melton like I've only like I've said this before, and like I've only like uh like I've only heard praises about Charles Melton of May December, like but 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 I didn't know enough about the role that he played, and when I saw the role that he played I was blown away. I, you see, like I only envisioned Charles Melton as, you know, as Reggie Mantle from Riverdale, since that you know he was playing a seventeen-year-old, and in a way, he is a teenager, but he is a teenager trapped in a thirty-year-old bra in a thirty-year-old body, and I think that's so affecting, since that he evokes such such internalized trauma whenever he's with like Julianne Moore <laughs> and like and just like how like he like uh he holds it together and how like everything like cracks when he breaks down it's just oh it's so like it's such a great performance and when he like sees his kids like graduate high school uh, like like uh he like he imagines, yeah, he imagines like the te- yeah, like he imagines like the high school years that he could have had when he's like bonding with his son when they're like smoking weed and he says to him, I I don't know if I'm bonding with you or not. You know, like he like like it's him saying that he doesn't know if he's like if he's being a good father to his son and he doesn't know if he's and he doesn't know if he and 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 he, and he can't really remember back to a time when he was like a normal teenager. So I think that's what's so effective about Charles Melton's performance. Like he's that good on it, you know. I saw a tweet that was um I saw like a quote tweet that was saying like Charles Melton didn't get nominated because he wasn't even a top 5 supporting performance of the year. And at that point, I wanted to throw Twitter in the fucking garbage, whatever that means. That's such a uninstalling the app. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a that's such a galaxy brain tweet. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't think he watched the movie. I will throw my seven hundred dollar iPhone out the window because of that tweet. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just makes you want to smash your phone, doesn't it? You know, like ugh. It it, yeah. it actually is like a goaded performance. Like I honestly didn't think that the river that I honestly didn't think that the Riverdale guy had in him. Yeah. Next up is yeah. Next up is Lily. Le- yep. Uh, next up is uh Lily Reinhardt. Let's see what she's got. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, I, I haven't been that impressed with Lily. Listen, Reinhardt, but... listen, listen, 
okay, okay. To me, I think Lily Reinhardt is a great actress. She's just not giving the right roles for it, you know? Like, no, she's she just... kind of just plays Lily Reinhardt and everything. And as a person, she's kind of, she's kind of a dumbass. <laughs> okay, but, okay, okay. All I'm saying is that she needs to fire her agent and, uh, and, and I don't know, like, be in actual movies. Uh, anyway, John, to you. <laughs> we gotta stop having the same picks, because I also picked Charles Melton in May-December. I mean, I, everything I, you yeah. just said, he plays the victim of a clearly groomed relationship perfectly, and that fucking scene when he watches his kids graduate, fucking tugged on my heartstrings so much. I thought you would pick Dominic Sessa, since you love the holdovers, you know? I thought about it, he was up there. Because, you know, The Holdovers actor. is a very uh, Massachusetts movie, you know? Yeah, like, indeed it is. I yeah. mean, a, a restaurant I go to sometimes is even in that movie. But something about Melton's performance... The fancy restaurant, kinda... right? The one where they yeah, all eat together? Oh. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, the, the, thing about, um, the thing about Melton's performance for me is that it borders perfectly on, like, this, like, haunting, yet kind of... He's, like, he's clearly a traumatized person. Yeah. But you can also tell, like, is he comfortable with the life that he lives or not? I just think it's, like, a really interesting dynamic of a performance, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and just, like, you know, awesome fucking scenes. I mean, like I said, the graduation scene is probably one of my favorite scenes of the year just because of him alone. And, like... I don't want to bring this scene up, but like the scene when he gets intimate with Natalie Portman and it gets like really creepy. His like yeah. acting is so good. And when Natalie says that one line, oh, yeah, that's what grown ups do. Oh, I didn't want to say it, but thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a very creepy line that still sends chills down my spine. Todd Haynes knows how to get to you sometimes, you know, like, ugh. I, I seriously don't understand the Academy's mindset of snubbing him. I, uh, I really don't. Like, he won, uh, he won the, like, uh, he won the BAFTA. He won the SAG. Like, yeah, that should have got him a yeah, lock. No nomination was crazy. To no, no he didn't get a nomination for BAFTA. I don't even think he was eligible. And he didn't get nominated for SAG. I okay. I nominated for SAG? Or was I just think not? he got nominated for SAG. I can double check it. Um, he got the Gotham he, Award. Yeah, he got the Gotham, the Gotham Award. <laughs> the yeah. Batman Award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my god. And then and then when he arrives at the Oscars, he'll just like take away the microphone from. Robert Downey Jr. and his Oscar and go like, "Hey, hey, Robert, hey, Robert, I'm vengeance. gonna let you finish." <laughs> <laughs> no, he just goes like, "My Oscar's vengeance." <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, like, I'm I'm gonna pick someone different because um, shocking. Oh, because... he also he got nominated for a golden for the Golden Globe. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right, yeah. Um. I'm gonna pick someone different because, like Charles Melton, like was my pick. But since you two basically picked, I'm gonna try to pick someone different, and I'm gonna pick oh, no. Glenn Howerton. Oh. Glenn Howerton. Oh, and... Glenn Howerton from Barry. <laughs> oh, right, of course. Uh, from Waterloo, <laughs> Waterloo, where the dogs where the come out. Hang out. Where the, where where the, the dogs come out? What? <laughs> no, no, vampires. Sorry, where the vampires <laughs> hang out. 
<laughs> why did I think that was weirder than when the vampires hang out? I don't I don't know why I said dogs. It's 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 a brain fart where the vampires hang out. Sorry. It's fine. It's fine. Um but but yeah, like I'll go with Glenn Howerton for Blackberry. This supporting actor category was honestly very hard to choose from. It, it very much was. I could have gone with Charles Melton. I could have gone with uh, Dominic Sessa. Could have mm-hmm. gone with Glenn Howerton. But today, I'll go with Glenn Howerton. Uh, just the amount of fierceness yet humor that he's that he's able to convey to this character who in real life was not like that at all. Like, again, oh, I, I didn't even know that Glenn Howerton had this in him. Like, this no, really didn't. Like, Glenn had that dog it, it, it reminded that. it reminded me of like a poor man's J.K. Simmons and Whiplash, but still like a goaded performance. Mm-hmm. It is a lot like Simmons it, and Whiplash. <laughs> it, it really is, but... <laughs> But there are like so many scenes that are just elevated by his line delivery alone. Like that scene where like he can't like call anybody because everyone's like on the internet and his only line is please get off the internet. He just like goes out there and goes like, Hey, get off the fucking internet. And it's so fucking <laughs> funny just how he says it. Like it like there's no reason why he had to like elicit that much rage into just that one line mm-hmm. and it, it's just it's honestly just like a mind-blowing performance mm-hmm. in my opinion like he still has those comedic chops but it's also still a pretty dramatic performance but he's like putting all of his energy into that performance it's so good it's like if you were to have dennis reynolds be in charge of a company but he's this like but he's like this raging like it's like he's this like raging guy you know like it's like if dennis reynolds was your drill sergeant uh, yep yep exactly (laughs) exactly like if dennis reynolds was your drill sergeant dennis reynolds was your drill sergeant he'd probably tell you to like literally eat shit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and then when you and then when you don't do it, he gets like really really angry and just and then just starts stripping. Oh my god! Really <laughs> I am the golden god. When I tell you to eat shit, you eat shit. Yeah. my tangent about Glenn Howerton was good. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. For now. So now we're on to best supporting actress. Uh, my pick is Divine Joy Randolph from The Holdovers. I that's four in a row, man. Come on. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, it's because we like the same movies, one. John. Okay. <laughs> so, what I love about Divine is like she she's so good at at portraying a grieving mother. You know, like, and, and I love the type of performances where these characters seem like they are you know getting getting it together but they're really not that scene where she's like you know that scene at the christmas eve party where she's like by the saying because she's crying because she's like you know 
she thought about her son who got killed in Vietnam, and she's like, no, watch me! <laughs> it's so, it's so amazing. And when she's like, uh, and then when she like opens up to uh, to everybody, is like, to like the core, like main group, it's just sweet and wholesome. I hope Divine wins, like, you know, this Oscar, really. So, yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. I, I think if there's any kind of surprise for the Best Supporting Actress competition, I, I I think the Academy would be nice to America Ferreira and give her Best hmm. Supporting Actress. I don't oh, know I that happened. I, yeah. uh, nothing against her, but her performance in Barbie is like nothing compared to the other nominees. Oh, exactly, no, I, exactly. Yeah. But I, I feel like it could be a surprise. All she never, did was never. All she did was do. Role. Yeah, apparently, if you do a monologue in a in a budget that's like um, what was it, three hundred million? In a budget that's like fifty million dollars, it'll uh, it'll get you a nomination. But whatever, I don't know. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. What are you gonna do? Also, yes, my fourth time in a row. Me and Santa have the same exact pick. Uh, Devine Joy Randolph in the holdovers. I mean, everything you just said, the whole entire grieving mother aspect of it. She is so good in that party scene where she's like clearly suffering from a depression attack about her son, telling people to fuck off. No one touch my goddamn radio. It's all great stuff. And like. She's, I think the other part of her performance that I love is that she kind of serves as like the good side of Paul Giamatti's character in some scenes. Like, she's right. the one there to tell him, like, you don't tell a boy who, who, um, who's alone on Christmas that his family doesn't love him or something like that. Yeah. Or Even when she's was. suffering the most, she's, she has the most morals out exactly. of exactly. And it's like she also probably kind of sees like uh, Dominic Sessa's character like as like uh, oh you remind me of my son type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I I care for all the boys here because they all remind me of my son who also went here, and <laughs> she's just such a sweetheart, man. Like her performance just makes me smile so much whenever I think about it. My mother just watched this movie uh, the other day for the first time, and she also said that Devine is her favorite part of the movie. So. Yeah, I think my mom would love this movie too. So yeah, yeah. my mom loved it. My mom called me during work to tell me that she cried during it, and she was crying. Aww. yeah. Like, Main boy reminded me so much of you. I love you, sweetheart. I'm like, mom, I'm I'm like in the middle nice. of my shift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't wait for my mom to watch it. Anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, AJ, you're next. Complete opposite of Divine Joy Randolph. Like it was a battle between her and this person, and I ended up going with Julianne Moore for May December. Ooh, holy this shit! Pick. <laughs> that that it very well may be my favorite Julianne Moore performance. Like she is like actually kind of terrifying in the movie she's yeah. terrifying she is enraging the way that she's able to just like randomly start crying out of nowhere and it is the most ear-piercing cry that you've ever heard in your life but then like there are scenes where she starts like completely just manipulating charles melton's character just like starts and the fact that she doesn't and in a way, like we start to 
we ourselves to start to fall for the manipulation that she's giving to Charles Melton. And I, and I thought that that was handled in a way that was maybe not tasteless, but very tasteless, maybe not completely tasteful, but like very, very realistic. Yeah. It, it was never in a way that was offensive. And I think if an actor is able to pull off that kind of performance, because it is a tough performance to pull off, then you've done something completely right. Like this performance could have been so cartoonish, but she owned it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like um, you hit the nail right on the head and the fact that like she doesn't exactly realize that she ruined a child's life for like 20 years is fucking insane that, that scene where she's like you wanted it you wanted it like dude like fucking <laughs> oh <my> rumor <laughs> like, like fuck that's you what, yeah yeah exactly fuck you lady like <laughs> like who 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 wanted it first? Who wanted it first? And it's, uh, and it's just like, dude, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, holy fucking shit, I wanted to strangle her. Yeah. But it was still like a goaded performance. Yeah. I, I still think Charles Melton is the best performance of the movie. But um, Julianne Moore, like, all, all three of those performers, Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, Charles Melton, they, they give like some of my favorite performances that they've ever done. Yeah. So uh all right, nice. So now we are on to best score. Uh it was really tough to pick out a really good score just because I think almost every movie I liked had a really good score. And mm-hmm. I am ultimately it's not uh <laughs> it's not Let Gordson. It's not um who scored for uh who scored for Kills of the Flower Moon again? <laughs> Robbie Robertson? Yeah, Robbie Robertson. It's not him. I'm gonna go with Joe Hisayashi, who scored the boy in the heron. Ooh. Nice. I love I love Joe Hisayashi. He's probably Jimmy Lee is creaming himself right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> he probably is. It's, it's... it's just be like, oh my god, Santi loves Joe Hisayashi. And <laughs> Yeah, like, what could I say? He's one of my favorite composers ever. I listen to him, like, like I listen to most of the Ghibli scores when I'm doing my homework, you know, because most of it is relaxing. But his score for the book, like, like his score for How Do You Live is transcendent. You know, like, it feels like you are, like, it feels like you are entering, like, the dimension that uh, Mahito enters and like it's really it's really soothing to listen to what can i say you know already johnny boy what the fuck is your fucking favorite score you fucking uh, I I wrestling lo- fanatic I... little piece of shit you guys want me to tell you what the fuck's going on? Because it'll take me five minutes to explain it, and I don't want to do that. We're already we got a long episode here coming. Okay, but, yeah, that's um, getting love you, bro. Anyway, I, go. On. I I also I went to uh, Ludwig Town. 
Um, the Oppenheimer score is just fucking phenomenal. Like yeah. ever since I first saw the movie, the music that plays at the end when he like sees the vision of all the nuclear weapons that has played in my head at least like once a day since. Yeah, I first can saw you hear the music? The yeah, that's yeah. the name of the track. Yes, and oh my god, dude! And I mean, maybe I'm also biased because The Boy and the Heron was my runner-up, but I only saw that in a regular format. I saw Oppenheimer in IMAX, so like that score was just whoa like very bassy very fucking loud and just eargasmic if that's even a word i just made it up but i i'm i'm not shocked that this was my favorite because i also really like ludwig's um score for tenet which is also like really bassy and kind of has a similar vibe but this one kind of also has like those nice like violin strings that come in Mm -hmm. that i really really like but yeah I don't really know what else to say. I mean, it's a phenomenal score. I, and I think anyone who's seen the movie agrees with me. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, I just want I, I don't mean to be that guy, but I just want to let everyone who's listening know and two of you know, uh, it's not Ludwig, it's Ludwig. Oh. Ludwig. Ludwig, Ludwig, whatever, man. <laughs> Ludwig is not an American name. You don't pronounce it. I should have known that when there's a wrestler whose name is literally Ludwig Kaiser. <laughs> Come on, Johnny. You're supposed to know everything. Just kidding. We love you, boy. Okay, say your composer, man. <laughs> okay. Um, when it comes to score, um, of course, the Oppenheimer score is brilliant. Um, but that's honestly my number three. It it was in a it was like a battle between the asteroid city score and the poor thing score. But after rewatching poor things, the answer is obvious. It's poor things. Oh yeah, poor, yeah. Poor, poor things. And the fact that this is Jerskin Fendrix's very first score for a motion Ooh. picture, he scored a play once. But, like, it is, like, it is the perfect, like, this is what being drunk sounds like. Yeah. (laughs) This is what, like, this is what being drunk or high sounds like. And the fact that, like, he's able to make, like, incorrect notes, but, like, immediately, like, play the correct note. Like, the fact that he's able to make that sound, like coherent and like it belongs in this kind of movie was really just amazing to me like that whole like bum, 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 especially uh bum. especially during the sex scenes you know like how it goes like yeah exactly and and it really to me like the score for poor things was such a huge risk like it really was like a very big risk especially for the composer's very first major motion picture yeah and and yorgos like yorgos put a lot a lot of faith into that one guy into making the perfect score and he absolutely nailed it imagine imagine being sorry Imagine being a composer uh, doing music for Yorgos Lanthimos and you get your very first Oscar nomination. I think that's a very high honor. Like, yeah. like there there were points during the Poor Thing score where I just said to myself, like, 
this is like this is unlike anything I've ever heard before. Mm-hmm. Like like there like you can say whatever you will about the Oppenheimer score. Like it's an amazing score. Like I I don't think that anyone can just properly think and plan out that poor thing score except for yeah. just concentrics. I can't we'll wait to hear what this guy does next. Anyway, yeah, sorry. me too. Me too. Same. Uh, now we are on to best screenplay. Uh, it's a tie between Sammy Birch, who did the screenplay for May December, and Justine Triette for Anatomy of a Fall. Yay. Like specifically, I think Sammy Birch's like screenplay for May December on how he like, on how he like crafted a a story on how like the media portrays like a portrays like taboo relationship specifically like involving a child involving a child being groomed and being like at uh, and involving a child being groomed which lasted for 20 years and how like the media like a uh, twist it into something <laughs> like a uh, twist it into something for the people to see and how it could be interpreted by and how it could be interpreted by movies and television. But then you have Justine Tria, in which she writes as <laughs> in which not only does she write a screenplay on a woman being accused of killing her husband, but she but she essentially writes a story in which she criticizes the entire French French government and the French government like obviously like, got pissed by it and it's why anatomy of a fall like isn't nominated for best international feature because how it works is that each country has to like has to like put their movie into submission for the academy and france didn't do that for anatomy of a fall like they picked something else because they they didn't really like because you know france is you know against feminism so yeah i really love both scripts for May, December, and Anatomy of a Fall. So, yeah. I need to rewatch Anatomy of a Fall soon. I I, 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 I should yeah, too. Period. Like, there are a lot of, like, there are a lot of things that I completely missed out on Anatomy of a Fall. And, and I think if, and I think I, if I were to, like, watch it for a second time, I would love it so much more, you know? Yeah, I feel the same. I feel like I, I watched it on the wrong day because I gave it, like, a three or three and a half. I, I, I need to rewatch it. I need to watch it, period. It's one of the only Best Picture nominees I have yet to watch. Come on, Johnny boy. You should. man. Video games and wrestling have been taking over my hobby time. Oh, man. Don, if you don't watch Anatomy of a Fall, I'm going to wrestle you. Anyway, what's your best screen? I'd win. (laughs) (laughs) Cutting a promo. Uh, My best best screenplay is uh, David Hemmingson for The Holdovers. I mean... Nice. I, lo- I love simple stuff and this and like the movie script is very heartfelt i mean everything about the characters is lovely everyone's got their own little story like whoever wrote in the scene for paul giamatti's character to kind of have the hots for that one teacher and then she turns out to have a boyfriend and that oh yeah gonna go down and this was the only film of 2023 that actually made me tear up in the theater because of the line at the end of the film when Giamatti says to Dominic Sessa, he says, hey, keep your head up. You can do this. Yeah, yeah. Before he leaves after getting fired for <laughs> li- for lying, by the way, and yeah. taking the blame for everything with, uh, with the kid's father. And 
Yeah, it's just I, I think it's a beautiful it, it's a very beautiful and heartfelt screenplay. It kinda I'm a sucker for like the whole sworn enemies become best friends type of thing because you yeah. know Giamatti and Sessa just hate each other when this movie first starts. But then, you know, when you get stuck in Stockholm syndrome with each other, you kind of become best friends. Yeah. And this movie nails it and that this movie's uh, script nailed it perfectly. So yeah, gonna have to give it to the holdovers for that one. Don't forget about the one of the greatest movie insults in recent memory. You yeah. know, yeah. What does he say again? Penis cancer. In oh. Well, well, also, don't forget about one of the funniest jokes in recent memory. You said you were gonna. You said you were gonna wash your hands with me. I meant it metaphorically. Yeah, of course you did. What were you gonna do? Actually, wash your hands. <laughs> remarkable, remarkable writing. Oh man. <laughs> I can't wait to watch the holdovers again. I'm gonna watch it with my mom. Huh? Knowing, knowing yeah. Sessa is. Uh, this was literally his first acting role, and he was just a kid that Alexander Payne like saw and was like, "Hey, do you want to be in a movie? It's making me keep my eye out. Hey, look for directors around, man. Try to make an impression on them." Night movie, put him in that goddamn Saturday Night Live movie, and yeah, uh, he'd fit uh, in. Better yet, put him in Paul Thomas Anderson's next movie because Ooh. that cast is continuing to grow. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Anyway. Imagine if PTA did a movie with Sessa and Cooper Hoffman. Oh my god. Oh my god. Power I would watch duo that shit. right there. I would watch that shit in a heartbeat. Trust me. <laughs> they need buddy cops. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so in. My best screenplay. Um, it was obvious for me. It's past lives. I could have picked oh, past yeah. lives. Damn it. Um <laughs> those who follow my YouTube channel, I named Past Lives as my favorite movie of 2023 and the screenplay is a big big reason as to why it is a beautifully beautifully written film that i think anybody can relate to i i think and honestly so many people have actually related to the amount of letterbox <laughs> reviews that i've seen that are just stories yeah they they completely missed their chance at love when they were so so young, but I know it, I did. <laughs> but but you know it only just gave them their opportunity to grow. I just find that kind of beautiful. Really, I I think, I, I think I past lives is probably pretty high on the top of my list. I mean, just from the opening scene alone, like the writing of like the people talking like speculating on all three of our main characters and figuring yeah. out what their relationship is that's like a great way to start your fucking movie <laughs> and um and yeah definitely one of my favorite uh one of my favorite pages of a script in uh of the year and also just like the way that um John Magaro's character was written like he could have very easily been like a complete prick but he was like so understandable yeah. they, they so understandable he made they made him like such a genuine great guy and it really just felt so believable i really like that scene where he kind of has to like reassure himself by like saying the greta lee's character where he's like 
you know, and like, and if this was a fictional book, like I'd be the bad guy, like the the child oh yeah, child lovers are gonna get back together, but the husband's in the way. We stand a man that breaks the fourth wall. Not really. If you break the fourth wall in real life, then you're a fucking psychopath. Yeah, mm-hmm. you watched too much of The Office and are too big a fan of Deadpool. No, yeah, <laughs> and and watch too much Deadpool. Yeah. You, you know you're crazy if you say a, something stupid or you hear something stupid happens and you pretend to look at a camera like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a really good uh, John Krasinski stare right there. <laughs> John Krasinski grew up a town over from me. We're not we're not so different, him and I. Hey, if you're watching it, come, on, come on Sandy time. I want to hear you and John talk all things Boston. That'd be horrible. No. <laughs> Well, no, because I've never lived in Boston, AJ. If 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 John Krasinski and I were ever on a podcast, I think no, not even on a podcast. If I ever meet John Krasinski, I'm just gonna like straight up give him the middle finger and say "fuck you" for that movie. If <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> he'll be really upset. But all right, okay. Uh, what if I didn't watch this movie, John? <laughs> okay. Uh, best animated movie. Let's let's move on. Uh, my pick. Um, my pick is um, How Do You Live? Um, I was originally like for a while. Like I always knew Spider Man Across the Spider Verse would be my favorite animated movie of the year until I saw Hayao Miyazaki's long-awaited movie. How do you live? It's it's an amazing movie. You know, like it's it's life-changing. It's Miyazaki's brain being unlocked and he puts everything into it. The animation is beautiful. I really love I really love the voice acting, specifically the Japanese voice acting. I don't think the English voice I don't think the English voice voice acting is not that great. However, Robert Pattinson killed it as the heroin. I will say that. Yeah, but uh, is always killing it, that man. Yeah, yep. he is. I'm very proud of him. And 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 just and just how this movie like portrays like you know portrays like legacy and how it's really it's how how it's really a commentary on Miyazaki like refusing to retire, but he wants to retire, but he does run. But he does want to retire, but he doesn't have a successor. He can't give it to Goro because the last time Goro made a move made movies, um, they both weren't really good. And and and, and it's also really a love letter to his grandson because someday his grandson might take over Ghibli and such. So 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 yeah, it's like it's metaphors atop of metaphors, atop of metaphors. If I keep watching that if you keep watching how do you live you're gonna find so much more and that's what i love about it so yeah john john back to you mine is also how do you live and like you said you just said everything perfectly but the one thing i do want to say is earlier this year i thought for sure my best animated was going to be into the spider not into the spider across the spider verse and it was for two months and then tmnt mutant mayhem came out which I liked a little bit more than Across the Spider-Verse. Apparently, that's an unpopular opinion, but I really, mm-hmm. really liked that movie. And then this came out, and I saw it. 
I've only seen it once. I really want to watch it again, and I, I'm curious to watch it with the English dub. I've only seen it in Japanese, but I do think it's it's uh, Miyazaki's best work since Spirited Away. I oh, know that. Wow. Um, I mean, I had to think about it first because honestly, I can't remember what when his movies came out when, but. I look, and then uh, after Spirit Away, it's like Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo. Um, I know he made something else in the in the two thousand tens that I'm pretty sure was wasn't well received that I probably haven't seen. But I look back at that, and I'm just like, yeah, I I think um, How Do You Live is probably the closest he's gotten in terms of quality to Spirited Away since then it's it's beautiful i mean the animation it's fucking it's it's ghibli it's it's going to be beautiful the the whole like um the whole like message of the movie of like coming to terms with um the death of your mother and accepting a new mother it's very i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's touching to me personally because i've never had to be in that situation but by the end of the movie i was just like man dude your stepmom i wish she was my mom too <laughs> yeah yeah it just all really worked for me and it, it's miyazaki this could be his final movie but he's apparently making another one so it's probably not but we'll see i guess but yeah yeah how do you live or boy in the heron here in america but how do you live is so much more of a better title yeah let's call it how do you live timmy lee would um he he would not rage as much um uh, just, just to let you know, Timmy, if you're watching this, we love you. We just, we just like busting your balls. Yeah. Uh, all right. What's your pick for animated movie? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. No. <laughs> oh my God. Um, tell me you're kidding, right? I was kidding. Yeah. That's coming up later on some of my things. I won't say <laughs> what, but it's not good. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I mean, like. Leave it the fucking illumination to fuck up a Mario movie. How do you fuck up a Mario movie? We'll talk about it in a bit. What's what's the pick for best? Yeah, best um, so I could have gone with Across the Spider Verse, but like honestly, like as much as I do love Across the Spider Verse, I think that movie's a little overrated. So I yeah, will... that's fair. Slightly, slightly. Team and T. I'm gonna go with Team and T. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That no diggity sequence, up. come on. Oh, I think it, about it every time no diggity comes on the radio. When I first saw the trailer, I just thought to myself, why are they just doing the Spider-Verse animation again? Like, that's perfect for TMNT, that's why. So yeah. Here's the thing. When I saw the actual when I saw the actual movie. It didn't feel derivative of Spider Verse at all. It actually felt like I was looking at a comic book, like a moving comic book, or a children's like pages of like drawings, because that's what they actually look like to me. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, like I want them to continue that style because it was legitimately perfect for something like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It is weird but somehow extremely, extremely fitting for this mm-hmm. kind of, Like, it, it's like what I said about the, the poor thing score. Weird, but I can't imagine it working without it. Um, But other than that, like, 
the four boys, the four teenage boys are absolutely stellar. Yeah. And, and the fact that they got like actual teenagers to do it mm-hmm. was just such a great decision. And they all have such amazing chemistry and they make the movie. Like yeah. they, they could have yeah, been because they all recorded together in one room. I think that's all... genius. <laughs> friends like they they all felt like such great friends and it could have been so fucking annoying but it wasn't like i was on board with those with um with those kids the entire storyline and even like every single joke i was on board for Mm -hmm. and i also didn't expect it to be surprisingly wholesome like this this um message that humanity is not all bad and i think that's a really great message to send to kids anyway yeah that's it tmnt cool i just want to mention real quick that um jack siddle actually told me about a year ago that a tmnt animated movie in this animation style of spider-verse would be his dream movie Oh, and okay. He didn't like the movie as much as us because he's a hardcore TMNT fan and he likes the darker, more adult focused stuff. Which oh, yeah. I do too, but I mean, the movie's adorable. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, it gets a pass from me. Yeah. But, okay. but yeah, that's just, he got what he wanted. Is basically yeah. what I'm saying. You know, you know what All else right. is our best movie scene? What is it, Santi? Okay. I'm going to give you a hint. Oh, 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 oh. It's the wind up punch in John Wick 4. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically the scene where Donnie Yen like repeatedly punches one of the guys and he does and he does he does this and he like and he puts the fist to the guy's face and shake and shooks his hand off. I, th- I think that's awesome. So yeah, that's all I'll say. John, back to you. Wow, that was quick. Um, my favorite bomb scene is the uh, detonation test in Oppenheimer. The yeah, 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 the Trinity test. The Trinity test. Oh, my word, dude. Did you guys see this in IMAX? Yes. Because the fucking teenager... Well, RPX, sitting, but yeah. The, yeah, the teenager that was sitting next to me covered his ears. He was ready for it. And, like, oh my God. I, I was ready for it, too, but I was ready to take it full blast. And then it went silent. And I just saw the explosion. And my first thought was, this is the best sound design of the whole goddamn year. <laughs> and then when the fucking blast went off, man, it shook my seat. It blew out my eardrums a little bit. I, like, actually heard ringing in my ears, like, for a few minutes after that scene. But the way that scene is shot and knowing that Nolan just created, like, an actual giant explosion and used camera magic to make it look like a nuclear explosion without any use of CGI is just, that's what I love in filmmaking. And this scene is a perfect representation of why the fuck I love movies, man. <laughs> Best scene of the year. Kaboomy. Yeah. <laughs> that scene. Um, I would have loved for Nolan to use this opportunity to include what I've done by Lincoln Park. So that, like, right before it explodes, you hear, what I've done! I I also offer up, when the sound kicks back in for the explosion, uh, you hear uh, uh, Here Comes the Boom by P.O.D., so oh, yeah. just to fucking explode, you just hear, boom! Here comes, here comes the, the boom! boom. <laughs> Ready or not! <laughs> 
<laughs> and then they just play Here Comes the Boom, the Kevin James movie. And oh, was... no. Starring Henry Winkler. They yeah. just play a completely different movie. Anyway. Yeah, your your movie scene. John, I'm actually very shocked that you didn't say my favorite movie scene. I'm shocked we didn't have the same one. The Atomic Breath in Godzilla Minus One. Runner up. <laughs> serious. I actually almost considered switching it today. It, it is like... That moment is when I just said to myself, like, this is the greatest Godzilla movie ever made. It Since really, the original, yeah. It really is. I rewatched the better. original. It's better than you ago. It's better. Yeah. Um, but like quite literally fifteen million dollar budget. Less than that. Less than the director the director said he fucking wishes it was fifteen million in the budget. Oh wow. (laughs) Yeah. How much was it? He didn't say. All we know is that it was less than fifteen mil. Less million dollar budget. Wow, and that is insane. Oh my god. Create Godzilla's iconic attack as amazing as you do, as horrifying as you do. That sounds as horrifying as you do. Like that shit felt louder than the Trinity test. And it was a lot more horrifying than quite literally any horror movie that i've seen all year you know it's pretty crazy how like when shin godzilla came out in 2016 which is the second best godzilla film by the way um (laughs) the atomic breath scene in that i was like that's the peak they're never gonna get better than that and then the scene you're talking about happened this year and it was just like oh oh (laughs) never mind i guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was beautiful. It looked like a, a gazillion 911s and it was it was amazing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, let's go let's go under the rated of underrated movie. Okay. Uh I'm going with Kelly Reichardt showing up. Yeah. Not seen it. Hey, a Kelly Reichardt stand. Yeah, I almost considered um 1001 but I thought more about showing up, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I I I I pretty much knew what Kelly was was going for." It's essentially like a commentary on Kelly Reichardt's own career since that she has put out like movies since like the '90s, and she hasn't, and none of those movies got the recognition that they deserved from like major awards. And they're really great movies, like Wendy and Lucy, Old Joy, um showing up certain women meeks meeks cut off they're all brilliant brilliant movies and with showing up in a capula and encapsulates like kelly's desire to make art and, and when that art isn't being treated the way it should then it's just going to be sitting there and that's the same with kelly's movies and i think that's what's beautiful about it so yeah I agree, and you need to start watching more of Kelly's movies. I know, I should. Yeah, I have yet to watch. Yeah, yeah, I am going to watch Old Joy soon, and then I'm going to work my way up. That's my favorite. Anyway, John, 
What is it? Well, my most underrated movie of the year is one, going to please someone we know, and two, piss off someone we know. Oh. Um, M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin. <laughs> nice. Uh, that is like low key my sleeper hit of the year. Like I have a hit and miss relationship with Shyamalan. Like I love a lot of his stuff. I love Unbreakable. I love Sixth Sense. I I I um I'm okay with the Village. I like it more than most people do. I actually think the happening is kind of fun in a sense. Like it actually yeah. isn't as bad as everyone says. Last Airbender sucks. Can we stop hating on Shyamalan because of it? It's not his fault. I mean, it kind of is, but it isn't. But it was 10 years ago. It was more than 10 years ago. Let's move on. But The Visit, thought it was a good return to form. Split, I thought was really good. I did not like Glass at all. I was okay with Old. I thought Old was pretty good. This, this was like, I almost five-starred this. This is still sitting at a four and a half for me. Dave Bautista's best role yet. Yeah. I honestly wish he got nominated for an Oscar. Like, I I know like we ha- we there's this constant discourse that happens of who's the best wrestler turned actor like there's the argument is it John Cena because of his dramatic scenes in Peacemaker where he's really good in is it Roddy Piper because of They Live is it The Rock because Rock and by the way fuck The Rock right now um that's yeah. I'll tell you guys later but um no it's got to be Big Dave I mean the dude just shows range nonstop. I mean he goes from Drax and Guardians of the Galaxy, that one scene that he's in in Blade Runner. He plays a henchman in one of the James Bond movies, and then here he's putting in an Oscar-worthy performance as this second-grade teacher named Leonard, who is like a shepherd from God, who's like, "You need to kill someone you love, or the world's gonna end." That's the only thing that I I didn't find believable was that I I didn't believe that Dave Bautista was a second-grade teacher. Hey, man, they come in all shapes and sizes nowadays. <laughs> and that man is proud of his kids. He had the photo of his freaking, like, what was it, a softball team or something like that? Yeah. But, no, but not, not just him. I think Jonathan Groff is also really good in this. Um, I love the little girl that plays their daughter. I think she's excellent in yeah. this movie. Yeah, I really liked that she said that Kiki's Delivery Service was her favorite movie. And I was like, yeah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she knows ball. She knows ball. Also, like, very nice uh, appearance from Rupert Grint. Um, you know, it's nice to yeah. see him doing stuff. I know him and Shyamalan are kind of boys now because he did that Apple TV show with them. Yeah. But, um... It, it pretty hard laugh for me for Rupert Grint to say I'm from Medford, Massachusetts. <laughs> yep. I have two people in Medford that fucking hate me. <laughs> oh no! So, yeah, Medford's not that far from me, and I know two guys there that do not like me for personal reasons I will not get into. So hey, Medford name drop, love it. Thank you, Shyamalan. Does this movie <laughs> take place in the Philadelphia woods? I think it does. My biggest shock was I predicted, I made a bold prediction right before this movie came out, I predicted that the apocalypse they're referring to was going to be The Happening, and this was secretly going to be a prequel to The Happening. It did not happen, thank God. But I wouldn't have put it past him. Yeah, I mean, like, he did somehow connect Split to Unbreakable. That's why. So I'm really surprised that he didn't really do that, you know, so... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I, I saw Split. I saw how he did that ending without any warning and pulled it off perfectly. So I was like, is there a chance he calls back to the movie that people say ruined his career before Last Airbender? Like Mark Wahlberg is just going to show up in a mid-credits review like, hey, I'm going to tell you about the happening. <laughs> yeah, I'm 
just passed it through, bro. Oh. House plant. Oh, you plastic. Oh, my bad, bro. <laughs> Actual scene in that movie. Yeah, he's, he's but, he talks to a plant. It's pretty yeah, funny. No, my my most underrated movie is Knock at the Cabin. It's still a top fifteen all year for me. It was in the top five for quite a while, like just until the summertime. So Timmy Lee is the one that's going to get pissed. Yeah, at... he hates that movie for some reason. I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. want to ask him. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Let's let's not. <laughs> okay, uh, AJ, your underrated movie is it also showing up? Uh, no, actually. Uh, this will make John and Owen happy. Uh, I'm still listening. I'm just running to the bathroom with my headphones on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Michael Mann's Ferrari. Yeah. Michael Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> John just. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. John just came into the screen and cheered. Yeah, man, we love Ferrari here. Like, man, like, this Free. is his first movie since Black Hat, and I would say he did not disappoint. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. He absolutely did not. I honestly, I honest to God am shocked at the amount of negative reception that letterbox peers have given Ferrari. It's because Same. people don't watch Michael Mann movies. They're not they're not familiar with his game. Hey, know? like I I haven't seen like a good amount of his movies. John pretty much like talked to me into watching Heat. Uh thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you fucking beautiful bastard. Uh but Ferrari, like this was one of the least boring movies that I have seen all year. Yeah. It was completely engrossing through and through. And it is mainly due to to the performances, but the fucking racing scenes and sound design as well. There are plenty of those racing scenes and they do not disappoint. Oh, they're shot so well. They they are done yeah. extremely well to a point where I almost put my favorite scene of the year as the accident scene. Oh, the crash. Oh yeah. my god, dude. I wish I could see that for the first time again. I had a packed theater. As soon as it went slow motion and silent, everyone in the theater gasped. Oh no, I trust me, like Ferrari per, like um premiered at my theater. It did relatively well at my theater the minute the accident scene happened like opening day i legit have not heard my audience react that much during any of the movies that we have that was not laughter that was not because i've I've heard the entire house like like a hyena laugh I'll say this as someone who's seen almost all of his movies. That scene is the most gruesome, gory thing he's ever done. I believe that's that's part of why I believe that felt so out of nowhere watching it for the first time. Like I knew they were gonna do that crash. It's like an infamous crash that like put the Ferrari business into a fucking shitstorm for a lot of years. I just didn't think he was gonna go that far with it to the point where you see a couple kids get killed on screen. Exactly, like like (laughs) this has fucking balls yeah and i respect it we respect the man around here that that man's got two ends in the man (laughs) and right when i 
saw Ferrari for the first time, legit, the first thing I did was make a TikTok video saying, why the fuck is Bradley Cooper getting Oscar recognition, but Adam Driver is not even yeah, in that? bullshit. This, yeah. His performance is transformative. Like, I completely forgot I was watching Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz, too. Oh, she's yeah. so good. I think Penelope's I think Penelope like outshines Adam just slightly, I, you know. Good man. Like I, I thought they were both like equally amazing. Like both of them should have gotten Oscar nominations, and it's fucking bullshit that they didn't. And it's even bigger bullshit that this was not up for sound design. Yeah. I mean 100%. it's fucking loud. When I, I work at like a little art house theater, it was fucking booming. In business is booming, Spider Man. Business is boom. Yeah, yeah. Ferrari says business is a boom. Yeah, I will say this. Like, uh, I'm really one thing. I'm really happy about this movie's existence in Ferrari here. Um, it's probably going to give us Adam Driver playing the young version of Neil McCauley in Heat Two, and I cannot wait to see that. Like, I was Me just too. watching scenes where he's in a suit and Ferrari, and just picturing a goatee on it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that he he can pull the young Robert De Niro off." Yeah, yeah I can see. Great. Yeah, I can see that too. You know, and uh, and uh, yeah, I had a, and yeah, I had a. Yeah, I had a talk about Ferrari during my during my uh, best movies of twenty twenty three list with uh, Nathan Spencer. You guys should uh, listen to that. And uh, really, Ferrari is like a commentary on Michael Mann's you know entire career, in which in which in which like not a lot of people like you know liked Black Hat. You know, like nobody was really ready for that. And 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 Michael Mann relates a lot to Enzo Ferrari, in which at that in which his career is failing a bit and so was michael mann's and he needed like another hit to like win back to people's favor so he so like the crash was basically a reactive response of people not liking black hat in a way and i think that's interesting oh that's funny yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah okay so that's ferrari uh next up is most overrated movie uh oh dear god please nobody hate me for this i'm picking barbie i'm picking the barbie movie i i'm sorry okay like like i like barbie i still like the barbie movie I just think think... I understand where you're coming from in the terms of that it's kind of like the Top Gun Maverick of this year where everyone saw it and is raving about it because I thought it was really good. I thought it was like a four four and a half out of five. But like there's some people that just don't watch movies that are calling it like the best thing ever made. It's just like the Top Gun Maverick situation last year. And that Mm -hmm. even that was a great movie. But yeah, I see where you're coming from. But go on. Right. Right, yeah, sure. Like Barbie, like did a lot for Greta Gerwig, in which like she was like, <laughs> and when she was like the first per, in which she was like the first woman to direct a movie with a with a with a higher Hollywood budget, and like that, like it had a great cast. The soundtrack was great, you know, all that, and Ryan Gosling. Like a Ryan Gosling is good, but I think like, but but but, 
but I think like but but I think a lot of the discourse on Barbie's messaging is what makes me think that it's kind of overrated. I'm like, okay, like who who really cares really? Like uh, yes, it says a lot about how Mattel treats their treats their own brand and how uh, <laughs> and how Barbie dolls are perceived by a lot of people, you know, and and I think like that and I think it's so stupid that people are that that people are arguing about Greta Gerwig like like being snubbed for best director when really her best work is actually Lady Bird and Little Women and she should have been nominated for best director for both of those movies. He so was that's Lady Bird. And that's and that's just my thing. And also and also I'm not even gonna get into that stupid Hillary Clinton tweet. If you know, you know. Like it's oh my god. Oh my god, that Hillary Clinton tweet actually made me laugh out loud. But um, fuck, yeah, yeah, so funny. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. <laughs> I, I I do agree that Greta Gerwig should have been nominated for best director for Barbie mainly because of the world building. But like looking at the best director, yeah. like I don't know who I would trade. I literally don't know. It's a perfect lineup. Okay, I would trade Greta. For Kelly Reichardt. I would put Kelly Reichardt in Greta Gerwig's place, honestly. No, no, I, I, I meant like in the Oscar oh. lineup. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I see that. Anyway, uh, John, what what is your overrated Super Mario Bros? Hey. Oh yeah, definitely. I, mean, I wouldn't. I saw this movie a, a few days late because I was in Los Angeles when it came out for WrestleMania, and I came back. I went to go see it with a friend of mine who's like a massive Nintendo diehard. So like him and I were like, "Yeah, this will be good. This will be good. Let's go see it." It had me in the first half, and then the rest of the movie happened. Yeah. Um, animation's beautiful. It's great. It's perfect. It's literally a perfect animation adaptation of Mario. The story is so fucking boring. <laughs> um, trying to say, I don't want to, I'm not trying to take disses at the voice acting in it that everyone's praising because honestly, Pratt wasn't bad in it. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he really kinda, wasn't. He, he no. just like kind of came off wrong from what we heard from him already. But like, actually watching the movie, I was like, oh yeah, no, he, he's got it. I mean, uh, he wouldn't know and definitely not have been my first choice but you know but like the movie just it sucks it's boring i mean it's serviceable as a kids movie but like there's nothing that makes you want to go back to watch it i don't I understand mean, how it made so much fucking money I mean, man I, I mean john it's illumination what do you expect they make uh buku bucks over it you know that's true now i'm hearing rumblings that illumination wants to do other video game projects i'm like please don't they're because, doing the, yeah they're, yeah they should stick to their mario movies they don't make they don't need to make an like a like there's no need for them to make a zelda movie no need for them to make a to make metroid prime or whatever so they shouldn't do that you're right well 
thankfully they're not doing Zelda, but we are getting a live action Zelda movie. Oh, that's right. But, um, Fuck me. Yeah, but uh, I was gonna say like another big problem I have with the Mario movie is very similar to another movie I hated based off a of video game franchise I really love that came out last year, Uncharted, is where it doesn't try to take inspiration from one of the games and turn that into a story for a movie. It plays all the best hits from all the games and puts it into the movie which makes it overbloated as fuck like that uncharted movie has shit from uncharted 4 which why the plane sequence from uncharted 3 is literally recreated like they do some shit from the first two games but leave out like one of the biggest key characters this mario movie does luigi's mansion for a second um it does mario kart because why not um the donkey kong stuff uh seth rogan is pretty good as donkey kong though yeah he oh, is. Oh, that's, he is that's a good casting and obviously credit where it's due i said the movie's most overrated which means i i didn't like it but i don't hate everything in it jack black is hilarious as bowser peaches yeah. is a banger but let's not pretend it should have been let's not pretend it should win best fucking song at the oscars yeah <laughs> did it let's... get nominated i didn't look I don't think I don't think it was. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're not we're not going for the memes anymore. But no, yeah, my most overrated is Mario Bros. Definitely could have been good if it was handled by a better studio. <laughs> John, speaking of a Zelda movie, like it, it's looking like it, it might be possible that Tom Holland might be Link. You ready for that? I'm not watching it if that happens because Me neither, yeah. Talk. Oh my god. Link never speaks and it yeah, stay that's that the, way. Yeah, that's the point. It, yeah. it look, all my two actually my three biggest gaming franchises of my personal favorites. Um one of them has had a shitload of movies made about it and none of them are good and faithful, I can tell you that. Resident um, Evil, yeah. Yeah. Another one is Devil May Cry, which thankfully has an anime adaptation coming from the Castlevania. So fucking guys, excited for that! Awesome. Yeah. And then Zelda, nothing yet, but I'm scared. Yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. It's good to be scared, you know, because you never know how it might turn out, you know. So yeah, AJ, what's your overrated movie? I'm really scared, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. John actually might agree with me on this, but I know you love this movie, Santi. Guardians of the Galaxy. Vol- I don't want to say most overrated. I still, I really mm. liked it. I, 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 I love Guardians 3, but okay. Uh. I think it's also completely fair. <laughs> I Yeah, sure. All right. Guardians <laughs> 2, Stan, I still think that is the best MCU movie. Agreed. And yeah. for I was actually very excited for Guardians 3. Um, I found Guardians 3 to be, while like, like a sweet send-off to the Guardians, I did not find it to be all that satisfying. I, I found it to be pretty manipulative and just pandering. And the entire movie was just predictable. Like, it was absolutely just beat for beat how i thought the movie was going to play out 
I'm going to object to that in the scene where uh, Rocket Raccoon hugs the otter that was in the trailer. I thought that was them reuniting. I did not think that was her about to get shot dead, which really took me Yeah, off it really is good to like, have damn. friends. <laughs> oh, I, I knew they were toast. I fucking knew. Yeah. Well, I knew they were going to die, but I thought they might have reunited first. I didn't think they were going to be dead beforehand. Yeah, no. I knew. Th- yeah, I knew that was going to happen because of the Telltale game, you know. So, like immediately when they went, like, "Oh, I love you guys. We're best friends." I'm like, "Yeah, they're gonna fucking die." Wait, like, yeah, yeah. literally. This isn't relationship development. This is literally just you being emotionally manipulative into, uh, sorry, emotionally manipulating us into thinking that there might be a happy ending to this when. I'm not fucking fooled. Like I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I've seen movies like this before, and then they fucking do fake out deaths again. Like, yeah. Like one of the biggest marketing things with this movie was who's gonna die? Who in the Guardians is gonna die? Oh, it's no one. But but yeah. but they they trick you into thinking that Rocket's gonna die. But no, he's fucking back to life. They trick you into thinking that Quill is going to die. And the stupidest fucking scene in the movie. But no, he's back to life. And they do that fucking like Adam Adam and David thing that Adam and David reference, which was so- I I think that's beautiful. Come I on, thought, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. It, it, it was it was completely pointless to the movie. And I don't know, like, literally when making this list, I had completely forgotten that Guardians 3 even happened. But I will say this, the Florence and the Machine needle drop is great. It makes it makes me smile. You know, how it ends just makes me smile. And every time I think about the movie, it makes me smile, you know, because it was the last time that I would see all of the Guardians again. And to be honest, I'm happy with the ending that we got, you know, because if one of them died, I wouldn't be happy. Think about that. (laughs) I would, I'd be satisfied if one of them died. I felt more satisfied with um, Peter Quill reuniting with his grandfather on Earth. I feel like that was the moment where I kind of thought, I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy was the only trilogy in the MCU that had its ending planned right from the very start. Everything yeah. else just kind of felt like they free-balled it, but that just felt like that was going to be the natural conclusion to Star-Lord's story. Well, yeah, because James Gunn gave a shit about telling a story and not connecting everything actually, to the other movies. I saw, like, I saw a video um, the other day of James Gunn on a podcast, and he was asked about what he's planning to do with DC and like the oversaturation of superhero stuff. And this motherfucker just gets it, man. Like, yeah. He, he's, he was saying, like, I feel like there's been a lack of quality in them rushing these products out when I at DC want to make these, want to have people make these movies the best they can and take their time making them. I was just like, this guy just gets it. Like, he, he just yeah. knows what he's doing. But that's the thing, though. Like, I, I didn't think that this was, like, a very well-executed story at all. I thought I think like a big part of that could also be because he I think he was doing this around the same time that he was doing Suicide Squad and he was probably also working out. They were probably talking to him about taking over for DC. So mm-hmm. I know he probably this was the last movie on his Marvel contract, so he was probably just kind of moving back and forth. Yeah. Maybe maybe some shit got screwed up in the shuffle. It's by it's probably it's it's my 
Actually, no, I like this one more than the first Guardians, but it's nowhere near as good as the second one. I mean, the second one is the a sec- five star. It's it's one of the best superhero movies ever made. I, Hell I, yeah, brother. The, the second one is a lot more emotionally satisfying. Like, the second one I actually cried. This one I did not cry at all. Mm, but, that's fair. What yeah. is the biggest surprise? Okay, okay. I cried when Gamora's... When Gamora says to Quill, I bet we were fun. And I was like, fuck, man. Hey, Santi, think about this. The guy who wrote that line is doing a Superman and Lois Lane relationship in his next movie. Fuck. Oh, oh, man, that Can't Superman wait. and Lois story is going to be so damn good. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay. All right. Now let's move on to... Uh, Biggest surprise. Okay, I'm going with Godzilla minus one. I didn't think I was gonna love this movie at all. You know, <laughs> like, I'm glad that you did that because that's also mine. And my reason is I didn't know this movie was coming out until two months before it came out. And me I too. Yeah, think it was going to be that fucking good. It, it it's mine too. Perfect. We're, we're perfect. We can all talk. About it. It, it, you runners up, but. Yeah, Godzilla minus one. Like, there was no reason that should have been that fucking good. I but. mean, there was a reason that should have been that good because Godzilla movies that are made by Japan, especially with Japanese directors who actually care about Godzilla as a whole, they just make bangers. I mean, Shin Godzilla, which was made by one of the Evangelion guys, like, that yeah. was the gold standard for Godzilla movies. That and the original, uh, her, uh, fuck, I forgot how you pronounce his name, the director of the original, uh, Godzilla film. But, um, sorry, I'm just looking it up right now because I really want to shout him out because he is, uh, uh, Ishiro Honda, um, the director of the original Godzilla film, like him and the guy from Evangelion that did Shin Godzilla, like those two would basically, they were like gods to me because of those two. Out comes the Godzilla minus one, which is directed by, um, Takashi Yamazaki. And oh my god, I want this man to direct everything going forward. Like a Star Wars movie, perhaps? He, if if they let him take full creative control, I'd love to see what he can do with, yeah, that, me too. with that property. But yeah. Exactly. What do you guys like about Godzilla Minus One? Yeah, I like and, a lot of things of it. And if you think about it, Godzilla Minus One and Oppenheimer are basically two sides of the same coin here. Oh, I'm double featuring them when Godzilla gets a physical release here. Oh, fuck yeah, me too. Yeah, like that with the Oppenheimer 4K, like, come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, so, like, both movies take place, like, you know, during World War II. Well, I mean, mean, Godzilla is more of a post-World War II story, but you see Japan, like... Like, like you see Japan's side of that war, whereas with Oppenheimer, you see America and the rest of the world's side of the war. How, how, how essentially Godzilla is basically like an allegory on how nuclear war affected mm-hmm. affected the Japanese people, and I think that, and I think, and I think portraying Godzilla like that is so much better than what America is trying so to do with Godzilla. Like, yeah. like, I mean, what you just said about Godzilla being an allegory for how Japan was affected by the by the war is literally why the character was created in 1954. Like, yeah. he's a result of the Hiroshima bombing mutating a a um a reptilian creature 
turning him into a handsome hunk. But yeah. <laughs> it's like, we got Godzilla, like, can I say something? He's fucking hot. <laughs> and uh, and I really like uh, and I li- and I really like what's his name Koichi. I thought Koichi is like one of the best like written protagonists in cinema we've ever had. And the fact that this was also what's his kind of like what's ju- his first name? It's like it's like a uh, Shikishima or something like that. Shikishima. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh. And that it also reminded me of Joss. It's that you know oh, they yeah. were like hunting Godzilla and like the beginning, and they were like dropping bombs in the water. Like my my when I first saw Godzilla minus one, the first thing I thought about it was, um, this feels like a Godzilla movie made by someone that's a really big fan of Steven Spielberg, <laughs> and <laughs> it, it really shows. Like the Jaws reference of like the main crew on the boat and like the doing the shit with the barrels and stuff. I'm like, dude, this is fucking Jaws. It rules. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's when I thought, oh yeah, I'm five star in that shit. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. AJ, you got something else about Godzilla or what? <laughs> guys pretty much hit the nail on the head i don't know what else to add um definitely probably the most depressing godzilla movie we've had in a while yeah since Uh, the original i'd say i will say this though i took two of my best friends to see the movie they have no recollection of godzilla they did not grow up with it they've only seen the b-movie american version Mm-hmm. Um and they both fucking obsessed over it to a point where like literally I brought out my Snapchat and like sent a video over to John of their reviews. You remember that, John? I was so proud. Good. Yeah. Was like, yeah, and I think if you were to show anyone a god anyone a Godzilla movie without like <laughs> without the knowledge of Godzilla, I think they'd like it. You know, you show someone Godzilla minus one who's not familiar with Godzilla, and they'll most likely like it, you know? So that's, that's how I see it. All right, biggest disappointment, okay? I'm going first. I, okay, John, I think you might have had this answer too. Um, It's the creator. Oh, close, but no. Uh, yeah. Mine's an even bigger disappointment. <laughs> Yeah, I did not like the creator like at all. It has what wrote so so what really draw me into this was that was that this was this was like this was a Gareth Edwards movie. I have an appreciation for the guy really. It was yeah. shot by Greg the cinematography was done by Greg Frazier, one of our one of our favorite cinematographers ever. The Batman and guy. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> Batman guy, the Doom guy, like, yeah, man, and the Denny Vel guy. The what? The Denny Vel guy. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and when like, uh, and the story was literally gonna gonna be a concept on the dangers of AI, but it turned out to be pro AI, which rubbed me the wrong way. Like it was a bit, it had. <laughs> It had a really bad pacing issue. Um, there were a lot of plot points that were unresolved. It had three separate third acts that pissed me off so much. And yeah, it was biggest letdown. And and I watched it and I completely forgot about it. 
Yeah, I just want to say, like, about that movie, um, I just want to give props to Gareth Edwards because I actually do like him. Uh, we were just talking about Godzilla Minus One. I think his Godzilla film, which is the first film in the MonsterVerse, yeah. is very, very good. It's it's not at, like, the levels of Shin, the original, or Minus One, but it's, like, I still think that's a really good and underrated movie that not a lot of people give enough praise to. But um also i do like rogue one and i know santa you're a big fan of rogue one too i am the, yeah the creator to me felt like gareth was like i want to make a sci-fi thing after i did rogue one but here's the problem he likes district nine and the last of us way too much because that movie is a mix of those two but with robots yeah it's, it's honestly a little bit sad when you look at it but, yeah, um, yeah, and it's such a shame because like it's one of the few like new original sci-fi movies we've had. Yeah, and is this really the best that they can do? I do think visually extremely impressive. It the entire movie was shot on the Sony FX uh, something camera. Yeah, which you can buy for like three thousand dollars on Amazon. I looked up, and I'm like, there's no way this movie looks that good shot on the camera that one camera like fraser's a fucking god like yeah. Is. yeah i need to i need to buy that camera i need to start uh doing shit like that is what i'm getting at well yeah anyway uh release the edwards cut back to you john <laughs> all right my biggest disappointment of the year now i'm going to defend myself on this because there's a lot of people that are going to say to me you should have known this was going to be bad i mean look at it Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, but listen. Duh, you should have known. <laughs> listen. Okay, I, fine. I Disney let Ryan Johnson do whatever the fuck he wanted with The Last Jedi. Granted, I should have saw the reception to that as a red flag about this, but when James Mangold was attached to do this, and I've seen Logan, I've seen what he does with old man characters, I was so excited for this, and I still liked. I genuinely liked the first trailer. I thought it showed a lot of promise, and Mads Mikkelsen was playing the villain. Come on, man, this was perfect for me. <laughs> and then the movie came out, and I was like, "Shit, that was bad." I know, it was it so was, bad. Look, I really wanted to love this movie. It's worse than Crystal Skull. I don't even think Crystal Skull is as bad as everyone makes it out to be. This was just boring until the third act when it got crazy, which is what Indiana Jones should do. Get fucking wild. And they did. They take a time machine to the freaking Roman Empire ages, and it is the fucking coolest shit ever. And then the movie ends, and you're like, oh, just when it was getting good. It really should have ended with Harrison Ford just staying at the Roman Empire. Exactly. I mean, I know you want to have that moment with with um with Karen Allen at the end, sure, but like I feel like that would have been so poetic with this character just oh, I'm literally watching history that I've taught. I'm watching it happen in front of me right now. I'm going to stay here and die while I watch this. This is my perfect way to go. That I seriously think I genuinely think I would like this movie. I would give this movie at least three stars if Indiana Jones died at the end during that scene. The ending yeah. of the movie just tanks it after that. Yeah. And I love Karen Allen. I have nothing against Karen Allen. Did not need to be in this movie. Yeah, and, and it's... Yeah, and it's... Uh, yeah, and an Indiana Jones movie shouldn't 
be boring, you know? Yeah, the first it, three movies you, are you amazing. Two, like I was about to say, you two both know how much I love Indiana Jones, because yeah. when we did the Indiana Jones month on the middle section, both of you were guests on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I don't know. Oh, I do uh, think the concept the movie went for was really good, though, having the main villain be one of the Nazi scientists who ended up working with NASA to help with the moon landing. I was like, that's a clever, that's a great idea. And he somehow survived from a fucking uh Jesus Christ, that that not even a scar on his face. That's such bullshit. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I remember when I saw this in the theater, I saw it with two of my friends that I've known for years, and the three of us loved Indiana Jones growing up. And like we were like when we saw D.H. Harrison Ford in the opening scene, before he moved his face, my first thought was, damn, that actually looks really good. And then he started talking, and it just sounded like 80-year-old Harrison Ford with, like, in his mid-30s Harrison Ford face, and it's the worst fucking visual ever. And and what's crazy is that this is, like, the biggest flop in Disney history. Yeah, I I knew that was going to happen. I knew this movie was going to flop There was no way that this movie was going to make money on a $500 million budget. No. There was no way. It only made, like, 300, right? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, overall, that's so bad, dude. Yeah, um, that's... At least it, it lets us know one thing. We are never getting another Indiana Jones movie. And <laughs> hey, you know what? That game from the Wolfenstein guys looks pretty good. And I'll take it. I'm 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 a bit concerned. I don't think it looks that great. You know, I'm not I don't saying like, it looks great. I'm saying I'll play it because it'll be free with Game Pass day one, and I have an Xbox, so oh, okay. I'll give it a shot. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right, hey. AJ, your disappointment. Yo, <laughs> okay, like as a DB Waller bridge Stan, like oh yeah, I forgot she was in the not movie. need to. Be- oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot she's the second main character in the movie. I, she, I now that I'm thinking about it, she was great in it. Did not need to be in it though. Yeah, thought she was kind of annoying. I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I love her, but like he was just there to make quips. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Should have just brought Kiki Hey Kwan back. Except- yes, we could have had we could have had old short round. Ugh. Yeah. Way- yes, please. I love hey. him. I put him in the big blockbuster. Anyway, okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Biggest disappointment: Saltburn. I haven't seen it yet. I'm yeah. planning on watching it soon. So I almost I almost put Saltburn, you know, like I guess I guess I'm not the biggest Emerald Fennell fan. I didn't like Promising Young Woman and I certainly did not and I certainly did not like Saltburn at all. What about movies that like do not need to exist? What the fuck was Saltburn trying to say? I I really I really don't know that uh that uh, watch out for poor people or else the rich people will steal their house. I don't know. If that's the message, then it's done like... If that's the message, then Parasite already did it perfectly a few years ago. Exactly. <laughs> and, and also, just like, it, it's completely just weird for weird sake to a point that it's just fucking nonsense. Like, yeah. at that point, it was just fucking nonsense. There's... They, they give, like, no reason for Barry Keoghan to act the way that he does in this movie. And what's so frustrating about Saltburn is that there is a beautiful-looking movie trapped in this. Yeah. Like, some reason, they do the 4 by 3 aspect ratio, and mm-hmm. I, I want to look at the landscapes. 
I want to look at like all the yeah. colors that are just bleeding, but fucking Emerald Fennel won't let me do. Are, are, are you telling me that Saltburn is presented in four three? Was it yes. like to preserve Zack Snyder's original vision or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember that the fucking the day that ZSJL came out, it opened with that fucking thing that was like this film is presented in four three to preserve Zack Snyder's original vision. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Dude, don't tell me that. I I get it. The movie's in four three. <laughs> like, yeah, Saltburn. Oh. Yeah. Oh, what a what a I fucking still haven't movie. Seen it. Yeah, I like, will see it soon. My girlfriend wants to watch it out of curiosity, so I'll watch it with her. I mean, I mean, I I I mean, John. If um, can I can I say her name or? <laughs> What my girlfriend's name? Yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if Amber likes Saltburn, then no, no, no. If Amber liked Promising Old Woman, she might like Saltburn. Like, I don't know. Like, 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 like. This... Like the big thing with Promising Young Woman for me is that I liked it at first, but then, but, but then I thought about it. But then I thought about more about that stupid ending, and I started to like it less. John, you've seen it, right? I have not actually. Can I spoil I it for you it. guys? Or I've I've seen it. I I don't like promising none more neither. But John, like... can I can I spoil it for you? Or I mean, you can. I mean, I probably won't remember what okay. you said anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. So pro. Okay. So I talked about this before with Timmy, for my uh for our like for our popular movies that we don't like, you know, thing. On Santi time, oh, I'm sure, and I'm sure he had a lot to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, 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 probably did. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. He had a lot to say. So, uh, with promising young woman, like it hypes up Cassie to like uh get revenge on her best friend's rapist. But then, like, you get to the third act, she arrives at the bachelor party, gets like you know, like puts like a. Like, uh, puts the guy in a room. Like, the guy's name is um Al, I think. Yeah, his name is Al. And, like, she ties him to the bed. She's about to, like, you know... Like, uh, she's about to, like, you know, mark him or whatever. To say... She was gonna write rapist on his bare chest. And he's... He, so, so, like, he basically sets himself free. And he smothers Cassie to death for 15 fucking minutes. So he basically killed her, and Al, and Al and his friend, um, go like get rid of Cassie's body. But then it turns out Cassie had had a contingency plan, in which that in which she posts the video of her friend being sexually assaulted, and he's put away for murder. He's so, so my question is how. So, so basically, my question is, how did she know that she would die? You know, like, it's yeah. like, and also keep in mind the cops failed her friend, and it's weird that she would rely on police to put Al away. Like, and it's it such a nonsensical, like, jigsaw type plan that I will never understand, you know? And, and I talked about this before with like a, with a couple of my friends and they've told me, oh, like, you're supposed to be upset about it. And I'm like, that's a very stupid way to end your movie then. Like, if you're supposed what? to be 
about it, then why is it set up as like this triumphant moment that you're supposed to cheer for? Exactly. Yeah. I anyway. I, I I will never understand. But 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 uh but yeah, back to Saltburn. I thought it was weird. You know, it's pretty. Performances are good, I guess. Didn't yeah. like how it ended. You know. So much worse. <laughs> the There's a good movie in there somewhere. It's just that a lot of the plot points did not add up add up at all. It's Tip. like Emerald Emerald wants to make a good movie. It's just that she doesn't know how. The TikTok discourse on Saltburn is the most obnoxious thing I've ever. I know. Yeah, man. that's a big thing that I've noticed. Even people I most- know that don't watch movies are like, John, have you seen Saltburn yet? I'm like, no, I haven't. Why? Like, I think the most insane thing I've been seeing is people saying that has got to be the weirdest and most mind fucking movie I've ever watched. Have you only looked at like blockbusters? Like, hey, give David Lynch's Mulholland Drive a run or uh, see how you feel. Or uh, or David Cronenberg's Crash, you know? Oh, That's fuck weird. yeah, man. Sex and car accidents. You love to see it. Hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's Saltburn. Next thing, uh, best trailers. We're going to trailers here. All right, so I'm picking... Uh, are we seeing Wind's Piece of Shit movie coming up? Is that after this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. it's after this. Uh, best okay. trailer... I think the Furiosa trailer is pretty fucking sick. Ooh. Did that come up? Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. I, thought... I got it before Aquaman, so yeah, it definitely came out in got 2023. Whew, that trailer's fire. I know. I'm really excited. Like, George Miller's cooking something. I don't know what, but I'm, I'm excited. a lot lately, man. I mean, he's making a new movie. He's in Death Stranding 2. I was just going to say, he's in Death Stranding 2. Like, I didn't realize that Hideo was one of the boys. <laughs> well, he was one of Hideo's boys. I put out a tweet the other day. I said, um, Hideo Kojima is in love with George Miller the way that Jeff Keighley is in love with Hideo Kojima. I'm telling you, <laughs> it, it's like a it's like a bigger fish constantly. Like they all love each other. No, yeah, you know, Furioso looks so goddamn good, dude. And that yeah, definitely did it favors. And I think it's stupid that people are complaining about the visuals of the movie. It looks like, just like Fury Road, which is exactly what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, no. you know, extended extended car chases that look fucking fun. Like, come on. The best part of that trailer is the fucking killer ass music. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) that or Chris Hemsworth showing up with that prosthetic remote nose and going, "Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, (laughs) that's also pretty great." That's that's gonna be a hell of a performance to witness. I'm excited. Yeah, it looks like he's going goblin mode. Yeah, (laughs) a man that hot going goblin mode. Love it. I'm hoping. Fury Road tier. Anyway, yeah, what, me too. what's my, your trailer? My uh, trailer of the year is the Iron Claw. Um, oh, okay. Best, best trailer of like the last few years, I think, in my opinion. But I mean, just like the needle drops of Don't Fear the Reaper and Tom Sawyer are both both in the movie, by the way. Both songs play in the movie, and it's great. But the trailer does a really good job of setting up like the Von Erich family and then showing like uh, the people who might not know who they are, like, Oh yeah, they were wrestlers. And then the third act of the trailer is all about uh, how fucked up their lives are because of the wrestling. And it really like, even for someone who doesn't know the story, it does enough to draw someone into that story 
of like, okay, well, what happened to these guys? But then it's for the people who know, like me, who saw that trailer, and all I could think was, oh, man, how are they going to show these fucking deaths on screen? Also, where's Chris? But then I remembered that that one was so fucking sad, they cut it out of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... No, the Iron Claw trailer is literally like when that trailer first dropped, I watched it like a hundred times. I was just like, man, this is perfect. <laughs> and just as someone who's known about the Von Eric story for as long as they have, to actually watch, like, watching that trailer was like the first realization of like, I'm about to watch a movie based off like an actual tragedy in wrestling. And I want to, I want to say, this might open the door for other tragic wrestling stories to be put on film, but I don't want to see a Benoit movie. Yeah. I, I yeah, would either. love to see an Eddie Guerrero movie though. And considering his nephew Chavo was the one who trains the cast of the iron claw, how to wrestle in ring that could be on the table if he allows it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that really would, uh, not, that I would... really do not want to see a Benoit movie. I don't think we should. I don't think we should promote him like that. WWE yeah. doesn't do it. Why should we? Wait, yeah. why? Considering the fact that he murdered his wife and kid and then hung himself. Jesus. And then yeah. ever since then, the WWE has not acknowledged his existence at all, which is kind of hard to do when he won the 2004 Royal Rumble from the number one spot in every single year. They're like, a few men have won the Royal Rumble from number one. Uh, uh, one of them is Shawn Michaels. They'll never mention him ever again. And Ed, that's how it should be, because why would you want to make a star out of someone who did that? Yeah, I, yeah, I, you're I so... I'm you sure it'll happen at some point. I just don't want to see a movie of that get made. Didn't yeah. He, did he tell me that he had, like, severe pain damage? And that's yeah. why He had CTE up the wazoo. Wow, yeah. he had the brain of an eighty-year-old man, and he was in his late thirties. Damn, that's yeah. that is so sad. But yeah, the Iron Claw, yeah, such a. <laughs> but yeah, but but yeah, that Iron Claw trailer like paid off because man, the Iron Claw was really good. But again, it really should have been nominated for something, at least for Zac Efron's like yeah, brilliant Efron's performance. Like, oh my god. And uh, I have a bit of a nitpick about uh, Jeremy Allen White's character in the movie. Uh, Carrie Von Eric. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Carrie. I have a I have a bit of a nitpick about Carrie's death. Um, the way that scene happens, it kind of feels like a stage play. I disagree. I thought that was one of the better scenes in the movie. I also agree, and I I'm going to say that that scene I, that scene was honestly one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it was executed so well and like i know what's about to happen i know how carrie died but that fucking gunshot still scared the ever-living shit out of me i knew it was coming but i it still got me uh, well executed stuff that and oh, zach okay. and zach afron going like no we'll yeah. never uh, yeah, and when he, yeah, when he says at the end, "I used to be a brother," and the sons are like, "Yeah, we'll be your brothers." Oh my god! Also, also with the Christmas scene when Carrie gives his father the Smith and Wesson, I was like, "Oh fuck, I know what that gun did." No. <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. That, that was the hard part about watching the movie. I like see the things. And I'm like, "Oh no, I know where this is going." <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. Uh, AJ, your trailer. <laughs> 
Killers of the Flower Moon trailer two. Is that oh. the one that has that kick-ass fucking song in the background? Oh yeah. Oh, that trailer rocks. Uh, what song? I listen to that trailer sometimes just to like. Me too. Up and I at first I hated. It. At first I hated it because I'm like, why are we giving so much energy about for a movie about like the Native American genocide? But like the more I sat with it. And the more I knew what the movie was going for, like it's actually perfect. Wait, hold on, Santa. Let me see if my mic will pick this up. This is the song. Okay. Uh, we can barely hear it. Come on, hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it. Barely. Ah, uh, barely. I tried. Yeah, um, yeah. I can. It was the trailer that played like almost uh the the couple of months before the movie came out. It was playing a lot. I got the trailer. I got that trailer before Oppenheimer, and then that was the moment where I was like, "Yeah, I love this trailer." Because I also did not like it at first. I thought it was too Wolf of Wall Street for the movie's concept. Exactly. Yeah. The third trailer I don't really like, but I don't even remember this trailer. Either. Yeah. Honestly, gets my blood pumping. It honestly like in a way kind of makes me feel that anger that the movie wants me to feel. I love that one moment in that trailer when one of the when one of the natives says we're still warriors and then the music kicks in again right as like the big dude like smacks a guy across the face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, and that's a movie where you should be enraged by because that's a moment in history that's barely talked about in schools and it perfectly represents a and it perfectly represents the current state of our education system so you know yeah. <clears throat> let's do yeah. our piece, piece of shit movies Woo! piece of doo-doo yeah uh oh boy. and i have the exact same one but okay my my movie is a movie called leave the world behind oh i heard about this i have not watched it okay think Knock at the Cabin, but so much worse. Oh, but bad? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Knock at the Cabin, but bad. Yeah, it's... Okay, it is two and a half hours long. It was made by a television director in the form of Sam Esmail, who thinks he's M. Night Shyamalan, but he's not. Okay, like... oh, Okay, like, it's kind of like... It's this family who go on vacation in Montauk or whatever, somewhere on Long Island. They go to this house... And then the other fan was like, oh, like, this is actually our house. May, 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 may we come in, right? And, 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 everybody, and everybody's all like, what's, what's happening? Like, uh, we're not getting any silver. <laughs> like, we're not getting any silver, cell surface. We're barely getting any news. What's going on in the city? And, 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 and in a way, the movie basically... So, so in the movie, what happens is like New York City is under attack. Well, I mean, you barely see it. It's in, it's in the perspective of these two families, and and half of the time in this movie, they're chasing the tails, thinking like, oh, like what's what's going on? What are we gonna do? Blah 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 blah. Like, oh, like in order to like survive the apocalypse, we have to we have to like hold hands, sing kumbaya, and what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like. It is the most tone-deaf message I've ever seen in a post-apocalyptic further movie. Like, like, uh, like, it's a very, it's a very, like, liberal type of movie in which, like, oh, oh, look at us. America's the victim. We're under attack. Will somebody help us? 
when really America was literally built on genocide, war, and other bad stuff, uh, namely America to blame for 9-11, which I won't get into. But, but uh, yeah, I just don't like that this was basically a fucking a fucking pity party for a for uh for us to feel bad about about what was happening to Americans and I was just like dude really also it was just so boring and it made me so infuriating and also how the movie ends is so fucking stupid so so the daughter's thing in the movie is that like she wants to is that she likes friends she wants to she wants to watch friends and she can't watch friends and it's literally her personality for the entire movie oh man Gross. what i know right and and, when, <laughs> and how the movie ends is that she goes to this house where there is like a stockpile of snacks and in the basement there is this like whole cabinet of physical media of movies and shows and she finds the physical media of friends and she <laughs> And she turns on friends. That's literally how it ends. I'm not kidding. The fuck? Exactly. The what the fuck? What the fuck? I was like, I, I was thinking like, what the fuck? I wasted two and a half hours of my life watching this shit. Like, oh my god. This, this I just all, couldn't believe it. I don't want to watch it. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry that I spoiled Leave the World Behind for you guys. It's a bad movie. But I guess what you could take away from this is that physical media matters. So, if we don't have physical media, the apocalypse will literally happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep physical media alive. Um, Texter over there. Um, do we have the same piece of shit movie? All right. Well, before I say what mine is, I want to like actually do two honorable mentions because all three of these movies were so goddamn bad that I just need to bring up all of them. Okay. So, uh, starting uh, so honorable mentions, the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Oh yep. yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. It was targeted towards the fans. That does not make it a good movie. It is poorly written. It's boring as shit. And it's only an hour and a half long, but feels like it's three hours long. Oh, yeah. Two, Cocaine Bear. Oh, yeah. Hilariously dumb concept, but you forgot to add the fun part. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, the worst movie of 2023 goes to The Flash. That's yeah! I knew it. I knew hey it. Hey guys, you know what's a great idea? Let's put a CGI, possibly AI generated George Reeves into this movie. You know, George Reeves, the man who killed himself because he was being typecasted as Superman and had no next of kin to approve of that cameo. Oh. And Christopher Reeves's family did not approve of that cameo. <laughs> Yo, uh, and, and you know what else is a great idea? You want to know what else is a great fucking idea, John? That will make you look so great. How about you, as the director, do not accept any of the criticism thrown at your movie, and but instead of just accept... No, no. it was supposed to look like that. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay, um, here's another thing, too. While they have been on a fucking warpath in the lead up to this movie, 
having two Ezra Millers as the lead of your movie is kind of a problem. How this still came out and that Batgirl movie got scrapped is beyond me. Yeah, me neither. But, like, one big thing. I've been saying this since the movie came out. Obviously, Ezra Miller's a goddamn psychopath. Yeah. But if you wanted to do this two Barry Allen story through the multiverse, why didn't you bring Grant Gustin in? Why couldn't it have been a, a buddy cop movie of the movie Flash and the TV show Flash? That would have because been better. They've met before. When they did the Crisis on Infinite Earths thing in the CW shows, Ezra Miller literally shows up in the Flash and they actually have a conversation for a minute. So, like, they've met each other. They literally set up that idea in that show and they should have done it in this movie. I think it would have made it would have benefited the movie so much more. They probably could have had a way better script written with that, and you would not have had to bring Michael Keaton back for shits and giggles to say, let's get nuts and then die like three times on screen. I completely forgot that Michael Keaton was even in the movie. That's the thing. Like, that's what cheerworthy moment but i completely forgot he was even fucking there i can't remember a single goddamn thing that he even does in this movie he I, says he, he dies like three times and i remember that because i was laughing so fucking hard at it each time he tries okay to i would compare tony and instantly gets murdered it's fucking hilarious <laughs> yeah and how he dies is so stupid like like i wasn't even like I wasn't even upset by it, you know. That's how I feel about this movie. I didn't, I didn't feel emotion when the deaths were happening. Like, ugh. I was laughing at all of them. I mean, oh no, fuck, <laughs> and a complete waste of Supergirl. Like Sasha Kaye deserved way better. Oh, she's or- good. She's good in this, but they I- don't give her anything to do. Yeah, they, yeah, they really did it. But I'm happy with like the new Supergirl that they recently casted, who is uh, Millie Alcock, and I'm really excited for her. Yeah, that's that's hype. That's but, um, I was gonna say another thing too with uh, that whole like scene where they just like throw all these multiverse cameos in that look AI generated, by the way, and which not I've to mention never, it's so terrible. I have never seen a more pathetic display of a company trying to save face so bad. And they do it terribly. And I was like, when I saw Christopher Reeves, my first thought was, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, there's no way I literally, I just saw that. And then I see a long-haired Superman with a giant robot spider. And me being the person I know about movie productions that got canceled, I said in the theater, there's no fucking way they're about to do what I think they're about to do right now. That Superman turns around and it's a fucking CGI Nicolas Cage. I fucking was about to leave the theater. Now, granted, that's a movie I would have loved to have seen back when Tim Burton was making it in the 90s and then it all went to shit. Yeah. But that happens. And then how can it get any worse? There is Adam West Batman, but he doesn't have his ears, which goes to show it's an AI generated image. I, and it's fucking. I didn't insane. even notice that it was Adam West. I didn't even notice. Yeah, you just see him for like two seconds. And yeah. then Andy Muschietti again has the gall to just lie to everybody and say, yeah. "Oh, 
Nicolas Cage actually was in the studio. And then Nicolas Cage was like, I was on I I was on set for maybe like an hour. And like and then I, whatever the fuck that they that was in the movie, I did not shoot any of that. Exactly. Like Andy Muschietti, like I'm not gonna support anything this guy does from now on. Yeah, I, me neither. I I re- they need to boot him off that Batman movie that's gonna be in Guns Universe, unless there is a small slimmer of a chance that he had no control over this movie and it was a Marvel Studios situation where WB was just like, quick, no, do all this, do all this, everyone will love this. We did not. But because I like that first It movie. I think that's a good movie. And he yeah. directed that. But um, what the fuck was I going to say? If I'm going to give this movie any credit, though, the George Clooney cameo at the end was genuinely funny. But that's yeah, it is. all I got. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. When I he got. tells him, like, yeah, yeah. When he tells him, like, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm just like. <laughs> I, I do remember I saw the movie with Greg a good friend of ours uh the night it came out and both of us hated it like it was just so bad but as soon as george clooney came walking out of the paparazzi both of us just started laughing we were like okay fuck that's actually pretty good (laughs) but (laughs) shitty movie the best joke and it happens right at the end but um i'm still 100 convinced that every person who said this movie was great was contractually obligated to like Yes. People that are shitting on I want people to I want people to realize this. People that are shitting on James Gunn for praising this movie. I don't think he liked this movie at all. What I think happened was he knew he's the new boss of DC and the thing you should not do is talk down on their next big movie that they dumped a bunch of money into. No. So he probably just did his best to make it sound like it was good when in reality he probably thought it was terrible. Because the dude knows ball. He knows uh, that movie is not something he would like. No. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I would say, John, like, I, I fully 100% believe that Andy Muschietti did have some control over it. Because... Oh, he's, he, he sure did. I'm just saying, I'm, I don't think the cameos was up to him. I think that was all WB. He maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Just, yeah, for sure. The way he was acting about it. Maybe... Yeah. A little hey. strange. He like he definitely had a lot to do with this. Like he just cannot handle criticism. Yeah, I really do not want him to direct that Batman movie, but if he does at the end of the day, at least I still have the Matt Reeves ones. Which yeah, are still gonna be coming out at the Bring same on. time, and that's gonna go horribly wrong because they're probably gonna be a lot better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw quality. that you tweeted that that uh Batman Brave and the Bold is gonna come out before batman part two no is that right or... it, no the there was a claim that um the the brave and the bold won't come out until after matt reeves's trilogy is finished but james gunn confirmed that's not true they will oh, like, be okay. coming out with but batman part two will be coming out first because that actually has a release date planned oh yeah to start filming in a few months that Okay, that movie I'm more excited for. Like, I think everyone is. I think anyone who knows anything about movies is decided that that's the that's the cape shit that we're excited for now. Fuck everything else. It's it's yeah. all about the R. Pat's Batman, baby. Yeah. <laughs> all right, AJ. What's yeah, AJ? What's your movie? What's your what's your piece of shit movie? I mean, I already said it was the Flash. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So it's quite. Yeah. Li- 
nothing redeeming redeeming about it. There's nothing redeeming about it. It's literally like, a fucking disaster. Nothing. Oh, I just want to say one more thing about the Flash, by the way, before sure. we move on. It is the god knows how manyth time they've tried to adapt the Flashpoint storyline into something, and it's just like it's as boring as evil Superman. Like, what's the point? Why couldn't you do something with Flash and the Rogues? Like, why couldn't we have like Captain Cold be the main villain or something like that? Why did it have to be a timeline changing Flashpoint bullshit? <laughs> yeah, this is the Flash movie. This is the first movie the Flash has ever had. I just, oh my god, it makes me so mad. Yeah, you... Flash movie. Huh? Fuck up a Flash movie. You I make know. Deadpool. Yeah, it's Stay... so you could have just. Spider-Man. You could have just made a Flash movie where he's just chilling around in Keystone or Central City, whichever one they want to do, and then the rogues show up. And Captain Cold, Mirror Master, Weather Wizard, I forgot the other ones, but but they, they that would that that be a good movie. There's a good movie there. There's yeah, not a good movie there. Not yeah. a good movie here, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, best movie of 2023. I'll go first. Uh. It's past lives. You know, I thought so much about what my favorite movie of last year would be. It's definitely past life. It's the movie that I connected to more. It's a movie that I was completely blown away by. I love how it starts and and I love how it ends. You know, like, oh my God. It's it just, I haven't stopped thinking about how the ending like turned out to be. And and it just made and it just really like made me think about like all of like the close friends I had in high school if I'll ever like see them again, but above yeah. yeah, but I'll always know that like that like they'll have their own life going forward and I'll have yeah, and I'll have my own, so yeah. If anything, this movie speaks to a lot of people who um who like reconnect with their loved ones and get out of those connections and you and and then you somehow get them back in a way so yeah yeah that's my movie <laughs> i think everyone can relate to past lives in a way where we all had friends in our past lives that we don't talk to at, yeah. at all if any anymore yeah all right i'm going to do a i'm going to do a nice little presentation here but uh, fuck the nominees, fuck the nominees. We're gonna be using a makeshift thing for the award here, okay? Okay, all right. And, and the John. Oh Mark my god, Moss. you're using your Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the PS5. You know, it was right there. So I was like, yeah, fuck it, grab it. And the Oscar and the John Griffin Oscar for best film of 2023 goes to Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Hell fuck. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to hit us with a Godzilla minus one. It was Godzilla minus one for a long, long time. If anything, I was going to do a whole bit with nominees, but we've been recording for over two hours. So I, but, uh, I was <laughs> yeah. going to be like, the nominees are Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, Godzilla minus one, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, Yorgos Lathmos, Poor Things. But then I was like, no, fuck it. I'm just doing the answer right now. No, yeah. I mean... I'm a big Marty stan. Uh, the Irishman is, if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood didn't exist, I think The Irishman would have been my, my film of the year 2019. And That's a hot take, my guy. I know. Like, you I... say that, but Parasite exists. <laughs> Parasite's up there, too. It's like top three. 
Okay. <laughs> but um, to be fair, I did not see Parasite until 2020. So yeah, me too. But, but, um, yeah. No, but for a long time, uh, this was always in the top three ever since I saw it back in October. But um, for a long time, the before this, Asteroid City was my movie of the year, which it's still in the top five, rest assured. I forgot to say it in the nominees there, but it's still in the top five. Um, not a lot of love for Asteroid City tonight, unfortunately, but it is one of Wes Anderson's best. I just want to throw that out there. But um, yeah, the holdovers took the number one spot for a while, and then Godzilla did. And then I started really thinking more about how much of the movies I watched left an impact on me. And I think the biggest impact left on me was from Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, like Santi said, our, our education system is so fucked because I had no idea that this happened until this I watched this movie. And yeah, and if we're talking that, like and, and and if we're talking like fucked up education systems, uh we didn't learn about the nineteen twenties Tulsa massacre until the Watchmen show came out. You know, yeah. that's how bad it is. <laughs> like, yeah, and just like knowing that that actually happened is like so fucked up. <laughs> and um I don't know. I think I think this is one of Marty's best. Like it's so crazy to say that, especially with a filmography like his, but like I think I like this a little bit more than The Irishman. Really? And nice. uh, yeah, a tad more than The Irishman. I'd say this is pretty close to Goodfellas in my Marty rankings. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. cool. I I definitely agree. This is one of Martin Scorsese's best, and it's further proof on how he still got the juice. I really I know that his next Jesus movie that he's working on is probably going to be it but man i would trade years off my life if it meant that he could just make a few more movies like I'll, please just keep going man yeah the ending of the irishman still haunts me a lot especially that final shot but the ending to kill is... the door a little open i like the door a little open <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. Ending the Killers of the Flower Moon. You just needed Martin Scorsese to say there was no mention of the murders. And I'm completely just heartbroken. Completely speechless. It was the best fucking way to end it. When I tell you that I teared up just a little bit, I did not cry, but my eyes started to water a bit when he showed up at the end to read that note card. I was just like, man... This might be Marty's magnum opus, man. It, it, it honestly, like, it's definitely up there for me. Like, the more I think about Killers of the Flower Moon, the more I love it. That's like a big reason that it became my movie of the year. I haven't yeah, seen it too. since it came out, but it sat with me. I have not forgotten a single thing about it. That just goes to show you how damn good the movie is. Exactly. And how cool is it that these older directors still have it in them because. My movie of the year last year was Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Nice. And now here's Marty pulling out one last stop. It's like it's like, oh, the older guys still got it a bit. The new generation will come along someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like um and it's tough to think that one of the last like great filmmakers that are working today is in fact like, you know, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg. And um and of course um I'm blanking on another filmmaker and of course Michael Mann like that man that guy's also like getting pretty old and they're still making great movies but like the up and coming directors like they're not making 
as great of masterpieces as they are, you know? So, like, who knows, like, who knows how long they'll have it in them to, like, pump as many movies out. So, yeah. what is this? I, is... I know Marty's not, probably not long for this world. Like, he's probably maybe got 10 or 15 years left of living, but he said that he's only going to make one more movie, and I'm just like, look, man, I'm not a religious person, but I will be first in line for that Christ movie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be set in the modern day, right? It's not going to be some... I have like... no idea. It, it, I kind of hope that it is, because I'd be like, Marty, didn't you already make, like, the fucking Last Temptation of Christ? Like, yeah, and didn't you... What's going on? Yeah, and didn't... Yeah, and wasn't Silence also a Jesus Christ movie since that Jesuit priests I, were involved? Like, <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I think it's more just about the Jesuit priests in Japan. Type ah, of got it, yeah. Silence. Yeah. In this top five movies, Silence is a masterpiece. Yeah, I gotta see it. I, I, I gotta see it too. Like, I really, spot. yeah. It's like actually amazing. Yeah. So, AJ, I assume your movie of the year is Past Lives as well. Past Lives tied with All of Us Strangers. Ooh, oh my God. Well, not the first time. I would, but, but that, and I watched All of Us Strangers for the first time. Because I walked right out of that theater and just said to myself, fuck, is All of Us Strangers my new favorite movie of 2023 after I made my goddamn video? And then I just said, no, they're pretty much tied. <laughs> they're pretty much tied. I, I love them both like very much equally. And it really just kind of goes to show how amazing this year actually was. Like, this was one of the best years in recent memory to f the fact that I can, like, fucking have a tie at this point. But they're so beautiful in, in pretty much mostly the same way. They have, like, a very dreamlike aspect to it, but they deal with kind of different themes, like past lives just past lives just being about holding on for dear life for that um past love that you had and all of us strangers being about like how you deal with grief and loneliness and both use the psychedelic dreamlike quality so fucking well well i mean i wouldn't call it past life psychedelic but i yeah, would no and you're psychedelic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Past lives is dreamlike in a sense, but not psychedelic. Whereas with all of the strangers, it's a bit psychedelic, considering like considering like the drug trip sequence that happens in the middle of the movie, and then it becomes and then it becomes something else. Like, wow, I, I mind think... blowing. Like, I would say I've said this to I've said this to a lot. Of, I've said this to a couple of my friends, but all of the strangers has like the arrival effect of a movie that is like so much more than what it was trying to present. Yeah, exactly. And and when I say like all the strangers has like a psychedelic effect, I mean, like, like I said earlier, it's a movie meant to like depict the afterlife. And I fully believe that all the strangers like is the afterlife put on film. And past lives is really just 
your subconscious, your like happy dreams put onto film. And with past lives, you know, I don't think I can ever look at New York City the same way ever again with all of us strangers. Like, I don't know if I can look at London the same way ever again. Yeah, definitely. Like, with London, like, I have family in England. <laughs> I have family in England, and oh, interesting. Oh, all of us, Eng- uh, all of us, England, <laughs> all of us strangers somehow makes London feel so empty. Aside from the fact that there are a bunch of extras just like walking around with our main character, and it it, it just kind of goes to show like how beautifully these that theme of loneliness was just executed. Yeah. That is that is well said. You hit the nail on the head about all of us strangers. And yeah, and I think I think that's the end, guys. This this is a long episode. I would say that was like long but satisfying. Yeah, this was a long and satisfying, really good discussion on the films and scenes that we have picked out. So thank you, gentlemen, for being on Santi Time to discuss to 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 discuss um to bring forth AJ's idea on to Santi Time. This was fun. This was fun chatting with you guys. This was great. And yeah, anything you want to plug here before we sign off? I'm on everything. Just look for me. Yeah. I'm okay. On Twitter and Letterbox. My Letterbox is in my Twitter bio. Just look for Griff at J Griffs J G R F F S. Griffin. You'll find my Letterbox and YouTube on my TikTok. Hey John, have you watched Berserk yet? No, I have not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm gonna keep asking you until you do. But uh, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh. Uh. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been the Santi Time Podcast, and I will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Au revoir.